We're Eternals. We came here to protect humans from the deviants. When you love something, you fight for it. Dad, I saw him on TV with the cape shooting laser beams. I don't wear a cape. Episode 402. Hello, this is Randall Park, and you are listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the Leftovers. And yes, Jake, this is a big movie week. We're going to be talking about the uh, the new Marvel movie that just dropped in theaters, uh, Cosmic Abortion. Oh, wow. I, I saw the wrong movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that's the title I gave the movie it's actually marvel's eternals so um <laughs> i'm hyped dude i can't wait to hear what you and everyone thinks yeah um <laughs> we've got guests this week i want to uh, uh uh welcome to the podcast uh shift and tristan welcome back tristan hey thanks for having me back uh we've got Ash- to discuss cosmic abortion cosmic abortion as i like to call it um we've got ashley derivator Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me as well. Uh, Handy Greg. Hello, everyone. There he is. And uh, Stephanie Chapman. Hi. All right. Yeah, we got a fucking roundtable, Jake. We got a packed house tonight. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, stick around. Uh, if, uh, if you, I have to give the winners to the Snake Eyes and Stillwater contest at the end of the episode. So Jake, we'll go over that at the, at the very end, but we're going to be diving into Eternals. The Eternals, a race of immortal beings with superhuman powers who have secretly lived on Earth for thousands of years, reunite to battle the evil deviants. And we are going to be jumping into full spoilers for the Eternals and those spoilers could be uh, we could we could drop spoil. This is your official spoiler warning, Jake. Right now, we could just drop a spoiler if we wanted to. So, oh, you know, I wouldn't even wait for the warning. I know, I know. That's why I started it from the beginning here. Uh, this movie was uh, directed by Chloe Zhao, uh, who wrote the screenplay with Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo. Stars an ensemble cast including Gemma Chan as Cersei, Richard Madden as Icarus. Camille Nanjiani as Kingo, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, Lauren Ridloff as Makari, 
Baron Barry Kogan as Druig, Don Lee as Gilgamesh, Harish Patel as Karun, Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman, Selma Hayek as Ajak, Angelina Jolie as Thena, and then also Deviant Crow is voiced by Bill Skarsgård, while David Kay voices the Celestial Arisham the Judge. Eternals has a runtime of 2 hours and 37 minutes with an estimated budget of 200 and 200 million dollars. So yeah, uh we're going to be jumping into Eternals here. I did want to read a couple quotes from Chloe Zhao from uh an interview that she had with uh who is this? Sci-Fi magazine. Yeah, Sci-Fi magazine. One thing I've always been interested in is to be able to expand the Infinity Saga and maybe look into the past. What's the origin of everything? That always makes me curious. So when producer Nate Moore reached out, I went to meet him, and they had a treatment written with Nate and Kevin Feige, worked on with Ryan and Kaz Furpo. I read that treatment and was so impressed and so amazed by the story. The bones of the story are coming from Marvel and the Furpos. That was the story that allowed me to go as big and as cosmic as possible to explore the MCU and at the same time be grounded, be as grounded and intimate on planet Earth as possible. So, yeah, um, let's jump into our ratings of the Eternals. And I'm actually going to start with, I think, yeah, I'm going to start with Stephanie. What did you think of Eternals? Oh, let me play our rating system. I'm so out of it this week, guys. I'm still sick and recovering. Here's our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. Yeah, Stephanie, what would you rate the Eternals or Eternals? I'm going to give it a high taste it. Okay. I... I I enjoyed it. I went in assuming after hearing um, reviews and after the early viewings that it it was going to be different. unlike anything that the audience that Marvel movie fans had ever seen. And so I went in trying to clear my head of any expectations. And I think that helped. Um, I think there were some glaring things that not just myself, but everybody in like my theater picked up on that I think maybe should have been thought about a bit more before they were included in the film. Um, but I think I enjoyed the casting choices a lot. Um, I thought the story was really interesting. And um, I figured out the post-credit scene without having to Google it afterwards. So I was proud of myself. So that upped my rating a bit. Oh, very good. Which one? There was uh, the mid and then the the uh, very end post-credit scene. Both of them. Both. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of shifting going on with somebody's mic. It sounds like you, Jake. It is not me. Okay, somebody. That uh, may have been me and my excitement. So. Okay, all right. Um, let's see here. So, yeah, high taste it from Stephanie. Uh, let's move on to Greg. What did you think? So, you know, just for context, I read Marvel Comics a, a lot from about 1990 to 2010. The only Eternal series I read was the Neil Gaiman, John Romita Jr. series, which I think was... 15, 13 years ago, something like that. So to prepare for this movie, I decided to go to Wikipedia and read up on the Eternals history. And let me preface by saying I I have an immense fondness for Jack Kirby. I have Jack Kirby posters. I love Jack Kirby's career. 
But I went to Wikipedia to read the Eternals history. And what was amazing is the heading for their sort of section says, this section's plot summary may be too long and excessively detailed. And I think the the biggest problem this movie had, I, I feel awful saying this because I worship the altar of Jack Kirby, is the source material is a little too gory for many audiences. A, a few things. Um, this is probably the best looking MCU movie. And I, I just believe that. This is one of the best acted MCU movies, in my opinion. It's I don't know how rewatchable this film is. I don't know how friendly this movie is going to be to core audiences. My audience was audibly irritated at several times during this film. I was not. I really enjoyed this film. I'm going to give this film a high taste, but I think it's very divisive. Very, very divisive. I think my audience struggled with this movie because of its length and because of the depth of the source material. I think time will probably be much kinder to this film than audiences, at least my audience and some of the critics are today. But for me personally... I give it a high taste because I enjoyed the source material. I thought it was a beautiful film and very well acted. Okay. All right. High taste it from Craig. I want to hear from Ashley. All right. So same, same as what, uh, uh, Stephanie said, right. I, you know, it was kind of hard because they decided to air it at that film festival. It really made it hard to kind of dodge some of the, negative whisperings around the movie right um and normally i i do try to do this thing where i'm like okay i'm gonna disconnect i'm just gonna like be present and like watch the film and with this one um i i i'm familiar with them i know of them but i didn't have a ton of background and and so i decided to really approach it with let me actually like let me just watch the movie but also watch it with certain questions in mind did i really connect with these characters and how excited am I, would I be to see them, you know, interact with the other characters in the, in the greater MCU? Um, and I, man, this, this, the movie was definitely not perfect. Definitely too long. Definitely, um, trying to do too many things at once. But that being said, um, I, I also agree with, with Greg. It was a beautiful movie. The cast, was one of the the highlights for me because otherwise, even being a big Marvel fan, to be honest, I wasn't I wasn't as excited to even going in and seeing the trailers, right? Like I wanted to be excited and I wanted to be engaged. And even with all of the weird, um, all of the weird little nuanced things that I just really didn't enjoy, again, it being a little bit too long. Um, there were I'm a big history buff, so so seeing all these different points in time and interacting in that way and it being intertwined with the Marvel Universe is just so fucking cool to me. Um and 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 the characters, I really fell in love um with a lot of them and and even uh, cried a couple times, which again, totally not expected at all. Like that was the last thing I was I was thinking walking in there. So for me, this was a really solid taste it. Um because, yeah, we'll get into the nitty-gritty, but also uh, the deviants having mouths and turning into, like, people, that was just really strange and not for me. Like, why? Ultron has teeth. No. Deviants have mouths. No. Like, stop. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, solid taste. That's the kind of stuff that I kind of gripe about, too. So, like, Ultron. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. Um... Like, 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 I was there. I was with the animals. I'm like, okay, you're like... The deviants are like Horizon Zero Dawn meets some like 
really parasitic, gross creatures that morph. Like, I'm here for that. And then they started get like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't need him to be uh, humanized. Yeah, I didn't know how I like, felt about the the evolve, the evolving, the evolution of deviants. But then I think it's going to play maybe in a, more of an important role going on in the future. But maybe it won't. I don't know. But yeah, that's right. A, no, that's a solid. That's a solid point. Um, so yeah, taste it from Ashley, uh, Tristan. Yeah. So, um, I saw this at an early fan screening on Wednesday and I came out of it with, uh, I liked it. I definitely liked it, but I wasn't sure exactly what to rate it. Like I just wasn't, um, certain if I loved it or if I just, you know, was just having this shiny new toy syndrome. But like after the uh, seeing the film about two more times, I saw it twice after that, so a total of three times, I really just started to pick on a lot of the nuance and and I really, really enjoyed the balance that was given to the leads, all the ten characters or eleven characters, if you count uh, the Black Knight, the fact that they were able to put together this massive cast and give most of them, not all of them, but most of them proper time to develop their characters um, and make you actually give a shit about them, I thought was a feat in itself. Um, I loved the cinematography. We already expected that to be good. The, the shooting on the real locations, the fact that they weren't using heavy green screen, um, all that gave it weight and beauty that we haven't seen in a lot of MCU films before. Um, I really, really loved how the action scenes were directed. Um I have to say that there were certain aspects of those action scenes that I felt were some of the best action moments I've seen in MCC in NCU films. And just overall, um, the visual effects, I think, need a little bit of work. I wasn't the biggest fan of how the deviants were designed. Um, and also they have a, a sequence where they go back to that prehistoric flashback that I, I thought was just so out of place as far as the CGI is concerned. But I did love how the visual effects manifested their powers. Um, I thought um, Makari um, as a speedster, I thought that was probably some of the best speedster visual effects we've ever seen. Um, I love the score. Um, that grew on me over time as well. And just overall, like I, I, I thought about the characters. You know, that's one thing that I, I have to consider when I'm um, trying to write these movies. Did I actually think about these people and, and, and give a shit about them after I saw the film? And and I couldn't stop thinking about certain characters. And overall, uh, my rating after first viewing went from a high tasted to a Tupperware. Oh, wow. Okay. We got a first Tupperware. That's yeah. fantastic. All right. Yeah. Um, multiple viewings. Um, I, I'll talk about that as well. I think that's an important thing for me too, is my experience with the multiple, with, with seeing it again. Uh, Jake. Uh, yeah, um, I've seen the movie twice, both in IMAX. Um, I'm going to give this movie the highest of taste it. Uh, it was so close to being a Tupperware for me, but it just doesn't quite get there. Um, you guys have kind of touched on some of it. I, I love a good fictional universe creation story and just like seeing that depth of the Marvel universe. So I, I thought this movie really excelled at showing us that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that kept it from being a Tupperware is a really nerdy thing. There's other things too, but I don't know if only IMAX affects this, but God damn, the aspect ratio of this movie flip flops so much. Did any of you guys get that issue? I did not. 
I don't, it, maybe it's just IMAX, but I mean, it went from widescreen, widescreen to short screen to widescreen and, and it, it kind of drove me nuts. There was no rhyme or reason to it. Like, I'm okay if it's just the action sequences, but man, it really bounced all over with the aspect ratio and that, uh, that really bothered me my first viewing. When I saw it a second time, I kind of just ignored it and it enjoyed it a lot more, but I'm curious to see it at home and see how they, how they deal with that. Um, I also thought Richard Madden's performance was not that great. Like his character, his character was okay, but man, he was just such a, a sourpuss and like just, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm being too hard and that is the character, but, but I never really got into him, but I thought I agree with Tristan. They really juggled such a giant cast. Like I didn't know if they could make me care about so many different characters in one two and a half hour movie, but they, they really did it. I, I fell in love with Dina. I think Angelina Jolie was probably my favorite character in the whole thing. And just her performance was so great with that character. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I could go on and on we're, we're really going to break this down and I, I've got a lot to say about like each individual part of this movie for sure. I, this was a great movie. I was surprised at how much I liked it. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I've seen it twice. Uh, I wanted to see it again today, but I have not been feeling too good. And actually the first time I saw this, um, Thursday night in IMAX, I wasn't feeling good. And I think that affected my, I think it affected my viewing big time. Um, cause I was like, I got to see this again. I felt like I missed things. I felt like I, I just wanted to be at home and in my bed. So I did not enjoy my first viewing of this movie. And so I got, I was like, I got to watch it again before I can even rate this thing. Um, and so, yeah, uh, saw it the second time the next day. Uh, and I watched it in real 3D. And, uh, I will say this. This is the best looking Marvel movie in real 3D that they've ever put out. And it really helped enhance uh the action sequences um more than any other marvel movie i've ever seen um the you know the scene at the end of the movie on the beach where you know uh makari is running and fastos is throwing his weaponry and stuff like that just looked fucking amazing in 3d if you have the chance to see this in 3d i highly recommend it because uh everything really pops even the you know, Cersei being summoned by Eris from the Judge out in space. It looks fucking incredible in 3D. Um, I did have problems with this movie. Uh, let me go over the things I loved. I loved Don Lee as Gilgamesh. I fucking loved him so much. He was hilarious. And I'm a big fan of that actor from Trade of Hassan. I thought he was great here. I love Gilgamesh. Um, I love Camille Nanjiani as Kingo. Um even though the character kind of bows out in the third act. Uh, I had problems with some of the decisions that were made, and maybe I'm alone in this, but I thought the sex scene was super out of place. And it, oh my God, it was, I, let me, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get through my rating. Let me get through my rating. <laughs> we'll talk. Let me, we'll open it up. We'll open it up. But I, I want to just, I just want to get through my rating here. The sex scene was super out of place and I think it was not needed at all. It felt really weird because you're in a Marvel movie first off and you've got, there's little kids in the, in the theater watching Eternals and then all of a sudden you've got, you know, fucking 
dollar store Homelander humping Cersei. And I'm just like, what is, what is happening right now? And I didn't like that decision. Number one, because <laughs> it's, it's a Marvel movie and it felt super out of place. But number two, it's almost like we get our first, um, we get our first gay couple in a Marvel movie. And I feel like that romance, like we get to see them kiss. And I thought that that was great. And I absolutely loved it. But it it feels like that like they just gotta they've gotta like put like this spotlight on the hetero relationship that's going on in this movie to even to the point that they have sex in the fucking movie agreed and i didn't like i didn't like the the hetero relationship took precedent and like that was like the the sex scene that we got we didn't need the sex scene number one um the other like the relationships were like a kind of a big problem for me in this one like we barely get any of like this relationship between Makari and Druig. We get to see like little hints at it. And then all of a sudden by the end of it, you know, they're, they're hugging and we're led to believe that they're in this, you know, I don't know if, if they are in a relationship or they're, they're starting something. Um, mm-hmm. and then not only do we have an awkward sex scene, but we also have, you didn't need to do this first off. Uh, I get the fact that Sprite wants to grow up and be older, but the fact that she has this infatuation with Icarus and, you know, she would want it to be a loving, intimate relationship, but it's cast as a child. You can leave that out completely. I've seen it done in other forms of media, other movies, much better. Interview with the Vampire, where Kirsten Dunst just basically is sick of looking like she's a kid. It has nothing to do with like her wanting to bone anybody in the movie. It just has something to do with her wanting to be look older um, and not look like a child because she's basically, you know, she's hundreds of years old and and uh, she, and the same thing kind of going on here. But you got to throw in this like creepy, weird infatuation that she has with Icarus. I think that could have been left out completely. Um, and kind of, there's a lot of the movie where it's just a slog. It's just, it's, it, there's, it's not exciting. There's a lot of parts that aren't exciting. I think it's probably the least funny of all the Marvel movies and not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's not like, it's definitely not Guardians of the Galaxy and thank God it's not as like ramped up as like Ant-Man movies. So I'm not saying it's a perfect balance. I could have used a little bit more humor. And I felt like I didn't really get to know all the characters. Um, I think, and I'm a huge fan of Lauren Ridloff. I love her from The Walking Dead. I loved her from Sound of Metal. She plays Makari in this. She's, um, you know, the deaf actress in this movie. And I feel like there's a point, and I'm going to open it up for discussion here in just a moment after I get my rating. There's a point in this where it basically it's like, it, uh, you know, you've got Ajax, Salma Hayek's character saying, I want you all to, we're all just going to leave, go out there and find what you love to do. And by the time we catch up with Makari, she's just chilling in the domo. I guess. And, and I mean, I, we're not supposed to believe that she's been there the whole time, but all they give her is like these little side quests. Like she's a video game character and she's looking for like, you know, the, the emerald tablet and she's, what else has she done? We don't, they don't flesh that out at all. And I feel like really they, they didn't utilize Lauren Ridloff at all in this movie to, 
you know, other than to show the fact that like she's a speedster and like that's a really cool scene. And then they give her like this really weird relationship between her and Druig, which I still don't understand. Um, hey, Brian, real quick, I thought she was a kleptomaniac. It, it, is am I the only person that picked up on that? Because all the all that random shit she was stealing yeah. in the domo, and earlier in the movie she was stealing. So, yeah, yeah Dr- Drew accuses her of it even. Yeah, I guess. Okay, I guess she's fully fleshed out then as a kleptomaniac. So she's <laughs> she, she's basically she's I'm not sure what the point of it is. No, she's yeah. she's, she's, Winona she's Winona Ryder in the '90s. You stole my joke. God damn it! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get it out swiftly too. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I'm gonna give this a. Uh, my first watch, I absolutely hated the movie. Um, my second watch, I'm going to give it a taste it. But I, I have, you know, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I did enjoy it a lot more the second time. So it's it's a solid taste it. Uh, as far as rewatchability, I don't know if this is one I'm going to revisit over and over and over again. It'll be one that I revisit before these kind of story elements start popping up in other forms of the MCU. As a refresher, I'll watch it again. But, um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it and I'll give it a taste it. So yeah, it's a, it's a solid taste that, um, Ashley, it seems like you want to talk about that sexy. It's a taste it party. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, it was like gravel and it was just the most awkward robotic, like, like, like you said, it was, (laughs) it was just, I just was like, how miserable is she right now? <laughs> how miserable is she right now <laughs> my my biggest thing with it is it just it just felt it's like, it's it felt so, so out of place it just felt out yeah. of place in this movie like like you don't have to they didn't it, yeah and they, they didn't really have the chemistry quite like not the, I, like they had more chemistry in their little flirting and then it would just look like <laughs> It was just—it looked like a green screen on like the coarsest sand you've ever found in your life, and they're like, "Yes, this pokey sand spot. Let's right here." Well, <laughs> I mean, in order to—I don't, don't want to sound like a—I don't want to sound like a prude, but I just saw this movie with my nine-year-old son, and I could have used a little less thrusting in that scene. It was just yeah, I, right. Like I, we I, did. There, I was like, at least five God, pumps in there. Explain what's going on. Here. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable. I loved that scene for all the wrong reasons. Like it, it was so, yeah, it was such a yeah. quiet scene, and it was just so great to see everyone squirm and whisper. I, I'll never forget that moment. I, it's a fantastic scene. It's right terrible. Now. It should not be in the movie. It's terrible. It wasn't earned. Uh, it wasn't earned. None of it was earned. Is this going to end up on Disney Plus or cut out? Yeah, I, I think the only thing that could have made that scene more awkward is if there were fapping noises in the background. But it was really awful. Oh. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> so the movie with the longer cut no 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 thanks i <laughs> yeah i don't care about the reaction of like how awkward it was with my audience and stuff like that i mean I, you can find humor in that but like as far as like the movie's concerned i can't believe that they put this in a marvel movie it's just it just felt so out of place like i had no problem with the sex scene in suicide squad with margot robbie and that was funny. It was played funny. Is this was cool even. <laughs> this was played for like a serious, like oh, we're showing that these two are in love. 
And like, first off, I'm not buying that they were like in love. I didn't, this is basically just to sell us on that idea of like, they're so much in love. There's like zero chemistry between them. And <laughs> honestly, they didn't spend enough, they didn't spend enough time with Dane Whitman and Cersei and their relationship either. Like, I didn't understand, like, I guess they're both like, you know, you know, professors and stuff like that and working at this museum and teaching class and whatever. But, I mean, even their chemistry was kind of lame. Like, you know, are you a wizard? Could you turn me into a giraffe? <laughs> I'm just like, this is dumb. Um, <laughs> I didn't. Don't you say that to all the ladies? <laughs> uh, Our audience really reacted to uh, Kit and Richard seeing each other for the first time. <laughs> Spider-Man, I mean. Yeah. That, for, for me, that kept taking me out of the movie. Every time the two of them would say the word Cersei, everybody in my theater would chuckle and I would <laughs> automatically take me out. And like, for me, I don't know what the solution to that would have been because the character's name is Cersei and their cast. But to me, it just is, I don't know if that could have been avoided. It took me out and a lot of people in my theater made noises every single time. It just, I don't think it was a great choice, but I don't know what the resolution is. I didn't like it. Yeah, we only had the audience really only reacted to the first time they were like looking at each other. So we didn't. I didn't get all the Cersei stuff. That's crazy. Yeah, that didn't happen in my audience either. Um, I I do want to talk about the. I guess we can. I don't want to break it down scene by scene, but I did want to talk about the the creation element in this movie and. You know, it starts off with in the beginning. I was kind of taken aback by like in the beginning and then like this <laughs> opening crawl, this scroll that we're reading and, and this so, whole, so hold on. This story about like the creation and it, it basically the opening says that, you know, the celestials had created the universe before the singularities. There's a lot of shifting going on. I'm hearing somebody's rubbing up against their mic or something. Um, the opening says that the Celestials created the universe before singularities. And so that means before the creation of the actual Infinity Stones. So Celestials were around before Infinity Stones. Because if you watch Guardians of the Galaxy, the Collector himself calls the stones singularities when he's showing the guardians what you know the celestial using the power stone on those screens that they're watching so this is basically this is taking us to a time before even the stones were around and um the basically the the entire creation of the universe here so i don't um i i, I guess i wasn't expecting that in this movie um I don't know. What did you guys think about, think about all that? I don't know. I guess we're finding out like in phase four that the stones aren't really the end all be all. And you know, we found that out in kind of like the Loki series as well. Yeah. I think that's the right way to go. I mean, you got to move on to the next mm -hmm. bigger, badder thing. Like you can't have the next like superpower be less than the stones. Sure. And I think this is a good area to do that in. Like it doesn't seem forced. No, I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what yeah. I was, oh, yeah. What I was gonna say too is like we were waiting for the movie. And I forgot to mention this, and they started playing the Eternals trailer, all this other stuff. They started playing this Dune stuff, and then instead of having Eternals, it was Dune that started playing. So everybody started hearing, seeing the, um, I don't know, whatever the first line of Dune is, and then 
they started when they started actually putting on the Eternals, we were like, wait, is this still the right thing? Because it was another <laughs> word crawl on the screen, and I'm like, what is happening? The first um, line of Dune is, ah, ah, ah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, it was just it was so fucking weird. But um, yeah, it was we. I, I was I was definitely thrown by the uh, the exposition uh, crawl. Um, I did not expect that to, to come with this. I was like, okay, this is where we're at. And then I feel like they, it, it almost felt like sometimes with the movie, they would like, like rev the engine. They would push things and move really quickly and then they would slow way down and then move really quickly and then slow. Because like, yeah, the whole beginning felt really like the, the sex scene, how they like, when they just meet, like Cersei and him are there and she's like, it's beautiful, isn't it? And he's like, and they're introducing themselves and then all of a sudden they're in love and then all of a sudden it, it just, it felt a little jolting. It was it was really weird for me, especially my first viewing. Uh, it, it, everything did seem to move really fast, like one minute, you know, and then the next minute, you know, um, you know, she hands him the, she turns the dagger to gold, and the next thing we're in the present day, and then the next thing we're being, you know, we're at a party, and the next thing we're being attacked by deviants, and it just like moved yeah. really quick. I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa! I yeah. couldn't take yeah. it all in. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, did get I, the. I oh, sorry, Greg. You go ahead, Jake. I did get the chills when the first note of Pink Floyd hit at the beginning. I thought that was an excellent move, like music choice for the beginning. I, I love seeing that over the Marvel title. No, I like that too. Yeah. I've had that song stuck in my head the past couple days now. So just the first note, right? The second it hit, I was like, "Is this really what that is?" And then the second note hits, and I'm like, "Oh yeah. shit!" Yeah, that was cool. Go ahead, Greg. No, I was going to say, I, I think. Um, the movie struggles a little bit with how to deliver exposition. You know, obviously they kind of had to resort to a little bit of an opening crawl to tell us some of the backstory. And that's where I think, again, I'm going to get killed for this. I, as much as I love Jack Kirby's career, this is kind of complicated stuff here that we're, that we're dealing with. One of the worst scenes in the film for me was when later in the movie, when Arisham talks about what's really going on, and he sounds just like an awful 50s robot. It's some of the worst yeah. voiceover work I think I've ever heard. It was as bad. great as Arisham looks, he sounds god awful. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the, vo- the movie just, they don't, yeah, go ahead. No, the voice actor has done like the voice of like Optimus Prime and Megatron and some of the animated stuff, and mm. I. I did not like the voice of Erisham at all. And when he's going through like the whole history of it, I felt like I was watching a Discovery Plus TV show or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, and there was so many moments of like, they're just telling us things instead of showing us things. And they're just like, on oh, this happened. And then this happened. And then you're like, Oh, it's another exposition moment. Please well, tell me more. we did <laughs> see like they're just bouncing from like, you know, uh, they're out in the solar system and they're bouncing from like different, you know, celestial like, you know, being birthed and then created new creating new worlds. And they look like those. Um, what are those? What were those? The They were like the Lego. What were those things called? The. <laughs> Bionic? The Bionics. They look like the Bionicles from Lego. <laughs> and, and they're creating different worlds and stuff. And, um, it, yeah, it was, it yeah. was an interesting way to tell the story for sure. Well, I hear a lot of critiques about people saying things like they don't understand what was going on or they were lost. And I don't really get that because everything was over explained like five times. Every major 
component was over over explained and i still am confused that people say like i didn't know what was going on well i just don't think people were that engaged while it was happening yeah that goes back to me like my first time i wasn't feeling well when i watched it the first time and it felt the movie was like a slog for me the first time i watched it (laughs) um but i went back the next day feeling a little bit better and and i enjoyed it quite a bit I, a lot more, a lot more, enough to get me from basically a, a toss it to a taste it. So, sounds uh, like the 3D really ramped it up for you too. The 3D was fantastic in this movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, I was so kind of, I was super pissed that that. Gilgamesh of all the characters dies. Yo, yo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was super sad. I'm what I understand when she starts fragmenting, she goes off, right? She goes red zone. Why then as you're being attacked, don't they all just like kind of just push her in the direction of the, the creatures and then get out of there? Let her do her thing. She'll just attack them. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. I, let me explain this. This uh, There's this part where Thena, she starts to attack them. And basically they call it the mad weary. And what's mm-hmm. happening in these moments is that Thena's mind is not – She's, she doesn't want to attack the deviants here. She's actually probably, oh, word. hold on. She's actually more probably in line with what the deviants are doing. Let me, she, her mind's remembering her past life as an eternal because we find out in this movie that this is not the first time that they've done this. Um, you know, the emergence and everything. Her mind is actually remembering her past life on planet century six. So whatever mind wipe they've done and they send them out, you know, to, you know, uh, kind of foster new life and, and things like that on these new planets. She's remembering her past life on planet century six. So every time her mind remembers this, she fights the eternals to stop oh. them from helping the celestials with the birth of a new celestial and the destruction of a planet, the emergence. So that's what's happening here. She's not, it's not about getting. She's like, I need to stop them yes. so that they cannot raise the, like, yeah. keep protecting the celestial so he's not born. Yeah, there's a mind yeah. fracture. Yeah. It's, there's a mind okay. fracture that's happening here yeah. and her, and her, and she's reverting and remembering her time on planet right. century six and how she felt for those people when they died. And so she's trying to stop the eternals in this moment. And th- right that's, okay. Yeah, it's, but, I mean, if you didn't get that from the movie, maybe they didn't do the best job of kind of explaining that. Cause like some of it, it, it some of the lines do come fast and furious right. and, and, and you can miss a lot because like not only are we dealing with this mad weary, but we're also dealing with like the, the, the emergence. We're, we're dealing mm-hmm. with the repercussions of the snap. We're dealing with all these different right. fucking love connections within the Eternals. There's so much going on in this movie and we've got yeah. Dane Whitman popping in and out of the movie and like it's basically, <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah, it's really just a lot of setup for him. Go ahead. Totally. Yeah. Because I, I, I think the relationship between her and Gilgamesh was one of my favorite relationships. I loved, I loved him so much. I loved her so much. Um, so it, it frustrated me because I, I, I saw her going, okay, you know, uh, the fragmentation to me meant she just went into warrior mode. I'm going to attack everything. And then I realized, like, 
I did realize that she ultimately did feel was was connecting with that, right? I guess I just didn't connect those two in that moment that, oh, I just like to point her in the direction. She's a weapon. She's a living weapon. Just go like that. Well, see, that's, a, see, that's, I guess. I would, it, like, annihilate all of them. But it, and I know that people listening to this, some of the people listening to this podcast right now are just realizing this too with that explanation. Yeah. Like they didn't yeah, know what and, was going on with mm-hmm. Mad Weary. So, yeah. Once they find out about the emergence, they even apologize to Fina. Like knowing mm. like what she's flashing back to. Sorry, girl. It, it was almost like yeah. Dollhouse. If if y'all if anyone watched that, like mm-hmm. it's same concept, right? Like they're just mind wiping and mind wiping, and then like sometimes it doesn't always <laughs> doesn't always clear correctly, right? And there's pieces left behind, and like yeah, Ugh. It, on the scene when they're discussing my, wiping her mind. Um, was really powerful for me. Like yeah. it was, uh, yeah. that, like seeing Druig step up and sh- that was just like, wow. Okay. I'm an Angelina's deli- uh, delivery was, was really, really incredible in that moment. Um, it was cool to see them all interact. Yeah. Barry Kogan in that scene was really good. I'm glad he stepped up and said something. Cause I was not, yeah. I yeah. was, you know, I was just not down with the group making that decision, especially, you know, the, the, the prime eternal Ajax just making this decision for this character. And, you know, they've been following her this entire time and like looking at like what humanity is doing. I'm, I'm basically at the same time that they're having that conversation. I believe this is like outside people are just like massacring each other. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he's just, exactly. ha- he's had enough. Like he, he has the power to basically like take over and, and make people stop fighting. And, and, uh, I thought it was super powerful. I love Barry Kogan was really good in this movie. I just feel like we didn't get enough of him in this movie. And I felt like no. part of me was thinking like the, maybe the fact that they killed off, like, you know, uh, quite a few of the Eternals here in this movie is the fact that they can't have movies with all these characters coming back because we won't get to know them all. We're not going to have all those moments. Yeah, it's too I much. Agree. Uh, Barry Keegan did a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really loved uh, the complexity of the characters and how all of their viewpoints, you know, made sense. Like none of them were clearly wrong about anything. They just had their own different viewpoints. And you know, Barry um, or Druig. I should say, you know, it was painted out as being like the one that you think is going to betray, the one that's going to be the problem, the one that's, uh, you know, the asshole or whatever. But, I mean, he was very sensible in what he believed. And, and at the end of it all, he just wanted to protect people. At the end of the day, though, he might become a villain uh, for them going forward in the future. I mean, he has been a villain in the in the comics, and uh, he actually did an interview with comicbookmovie.com and they asked him, um, here's what it says. Now, as we're sure many of you will be aware, the character's comic book counterpart has frequently been portrayed in a vil- villainous light. So we had to ask whether the actor thinks that this could be reflected in the MCU at some point. And he says, yeah, I think so. I don't want to put any ideas out there. I definitely think he'll take a stand. He finds it hard not to interfere in stuff. It's for the right reasons. He has some valid points to interfere and he's doing it for good reasons. But yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he does. I've got no idea. And, uh, it goes on to talk about in Kieran Gillen and Aesop, Aesop Ribic's Eternals run. Drug, uh, has turned on the rest of the Eternals and allied himself with Thanos. And they go on to say that's not going to happen in the MCU, but we were curious if, uh, Kogan has any dream supervillain team ups for his version of the character. And, uh, 
this is just, yeah, this is just him saying, I'm just going to throw out my favorites out there. So hopefully it happens. Thor, I don't know him. Him and Loki definitely have a similar thing going on. He pondered. I don't think they'd get, get on though. Would they get on? They both have something of a mischievous side, but seeing as the God of Mischief has been reformed in his Disney Plus series, it's unlikely Loki could be tempted back to the dark side by Druig. Um, so he's talking about <laughs> Druig tempting Loki back to the dark side, which I think is pretty cool. But um, I could definitely see with Marvel doing all these sympathetic villains – this could be the next evolution for his character to be that next sympathetic v- villain, you know? So just throwing that out there. I think Drew could still be like an Eternals villain or an, uh, or a villain in an upcoming series or an upcoming movie. Yeah, I could see it because you really did feel bad for that character. Like I thought his monologue about just how he has to kind of sit on his hands while all this stuff happens, even though he has the power to do it, was really powerful. And it made me feel really bad for the character. Mm-hmm. I. But I agree with a lot of what Tristan was saying. I thought one of the best parts of this movie was how they did a good job with all the characters having different opinions and different morals and it not being like really cliche like you see in a lot of other movies. I've seen a lot of criticism to like Kingo dipping out in the third act. And I thought even that was kind of powerful that he had his own opinion and moral and it wasn't the cliche where they had to have a big superhero battle about it they they respected his opinion and and they let him go like he he didn't do it the douchebag way like icarus did yeah i just didn't see anything from him throughout the rest of the movie the first and second act to lead me to believe like that's where he stood by the end of it yeah but that's a hard thing like it's a very religious thing to have to like decide about someone sometimes you just can't pick up on those things like what character trait is he going to show you so you know that he believes in expanding the universe over, you know, cosmic abortion over, you know, it's hard to know where he lies just from character interactions without him outright saying that kind of stuff. Uh, for me, it just felt like they just used him at the end of the movie to be like, um, you know, oh, we've got all these other people that are thinking about this and that we need to do the Unimind. We need to stop this from happening. But let's have just one of the members oppose it. Um, it's a different point of view from another eternal. Let's just, ha- and, and it, it just happened to be Kingo. And I was just like, okay, but what in the rest of the movie yeah. led me to believe that that character is going to be like, oh, I've followed you before so many other times, Icarus. Well, I really haven't seen all that stuff. You've had two and a half hours and you've jumped back to the past seven different times. I haven't seen any of this. So it just felt like they just needed that one character at the end to conveniently just be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bow out. And that, that's how I took it. Well, Sprite, Sprite also sided with Icarus. Well, she, she sided with Icarus just because she's in love with him. True. True enough. And we saw all, we saw all that. You know, we saw that conversation between her and um, when were they in the Amazon when that happened? When, um, yeah, they went to the Amazon, I believe, to uh, visit Druig. And then she's watching, you know, Sprite is watching Icarus. And then Kingo comes up to her and says, you know, you know, basically, oh, I see that you're kind of in love with him, blah, blah, blah. I'm paraphrasing. But, yeah. I think Kingo, and, and this, I, I agree with all the comments that I think the characters had pretty good dimensionality. I mean, he was kind of narcissistic, if you think about it. You know, he was a movie star four times over. So it makes sense to me that he would 
I don't know, have, Greg. Those were his great grandfather <laughs> and his grandfather. So <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, but it makes sense to me that he would sit it out. And I, I also appreciated that. I found myself wanting more of Kingo, though. I think he was one of the more interesting characters. And the See, film. I felt he also that... introduced this. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. You're, you're saying something. The, the, the last thing I was going to add is he also introduced us to probably one of the only effective sidekicks in MCU history. And that's <laughs> Korea. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw him, I went, oh, here we go with the goddamn sidekick for Comic Relief. But I actually loved Karun. Yeah, the ballet. I, thought, I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, yeah I loved Karun the ballet. Um, but back to Kingo. I would think that because he was so narcissistic and because he was having such a good time on Earth that he would be one of the ones that would be opposing. Thank you. That's what I I think. And I kept thinking back to the scene where like, he felt like he was letting all those people down over the production. And I'm like, okay, but now he's willing to sacrifice all of those people. The same people that he, he didn't want to leave with the Eternals because they had just started filming shadow warrior. And, and now he's willing to sacrifice all these people because he still believes in, 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 you know, what they're doing, what the Celestials are having them do. It just, I don't know. It just, it didn't kind of line up with, with what I thought that character would have, would have decided in the end. Yeah. And I felt that his departure in the very end was a little awkward just because he's such a big character. And then all of a sudden he's, I've never seen a character just say, I'm going to sit out the, the climax and then come back and join you guys right before the end credits. Well, and then, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah, and then we, and, seemed a little weird. and then we when, learned when that he tapped out though. I was so glad that he didn't come in at the last minute to save the day because uh, I, I was just waiting for that to happen. If the Han Solo moment. Out, I like that yeah. he tapped. Yeah. I just like that he stayed tapped out if you're going to go that route. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. No, it's just like, you know, and then he knows, I mean, there's the point where he knows that Ajax was, you know, sacrificed to the deviants by Icarus. And so I would, you know, there's just a lot of things, um, you know, it didn't ruin it, that, that, that's not what ruined the movie, you know, and, and it, this is not a terrible movie. I still did enjoy it. It's just, there's with, with 10 characters, I just felt like by the time they got to the end of this thing, they just needed that random character to oppose all of this. Yeah. And he was, I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's a lot. Straight. Sorry. Oh, uh, that's okay. I, I felt the same way um, about Sprite, right? She was crushed about the Ajax thing. And then they all find out. And then it just, it almost felt like the love interest thing was like just a plot point to get to the end to make sure that somebody stabs Cersei. And yeah. He makes the most sense. And and so it's like you were just like reliving your moments with her. And then, you know, this guy just killed her. I know, and, and yeah, then, but you know, but I've never uh, done it before, and he's really hot. So yeah, exactly. And then the fact and that they lived, fight? they lived in London together. She was there yes. to to help Cersei, and they spent all this time in London. That's like, you know, yeah, they were. Like, that's like the most time with these two. Why would you just like hang around him who's been gone for thousands of years or whatever? Yeah, that's like that's <laughs> like that's like like that's like Monica stabbing Rachel just because she wants to be with Chandler or something. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, this guy's yeah, been yeah. ignoring. For seven thousand years, and you're going to take his side. <laughs> well, and it's like, and the fact that the relationship would just never work with her, you know, in the way that the Celestials made her. They made her as a child, and that whole in plot general, point. I just don't think that her her gripe about being a child was even that big a deal. Because I'm like, 
okay, you can still experience life as a human, even though you look like that. Just tell people that you got Gary Coleman's disease and, and <laughs> make a, oh, make no. a fake idea. <laughs> what you talking about? my Tinder Gary. profile. Not a child. Definitely have Gary Coleman's disease. <laughs> Call me Definitely. up. <laughs> Definitely 35. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's just... It was super Disney convenient when they made her a real human too. Like that, it was a little bit of an eye roll moment. Oh, I was like, oh my god! Yeah, okay, it would have been a problem in the future, right? Because yeah, actress yeah. would have grown. That's what I was I thinking. Have- By the end of it, I was thinking she's either going to die or they're going to find a way to have her age. And so they just they had like this, you know, magical Pinocchio moment. So I have exactly enough juice left in me to make you a real human. <laughs> oh boy. Just the right amount, conveniently or not. I think I think she did inspire. I think I think she probably went to Studio Fifty Four and inspired David David Bowie's haircut. I mean, I did think that she she had a little bit of little bit of a Bowie haircut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought the actress did a great job with what she had, um, and what a fun time that must have been for her on set, just getting to hang out with all those actors and actresses. I mean, that that was probably great for her. <laughs> That's where we are in this review is the, the fun that the actor had <laughs> filming this movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she had a blast too, Jake. <laughs> Even the Cersei thing, I'm like, yeah, you stabbed me and almost stopped me from doing this, but, you know, I guess I can uh, heal you and make you human. Good. Let's talk about That's let's, a little awkward. Let's talk about yeah. let's talk yeah, about I forgive you. It's let, cool. Let's jump into some characters. Um I do want to talk about uh Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos and um it's it, it's an interesting thing cuz uh they talk about how you know, we get to, we get to like, uh, you know, the, that he creates the new, the, the nuclear bomb is because of, uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Fastos, um, and his technology and kind of like moving us along as, as a species. And, uh, we see him crying with Ajax and everything. And then Druig says that he's done with humanity. And then like that happened in 1945 and by, you know, what year is this? 2023, 2024. Um, he's in a committed relationship and that was just kind of like glazed over, like kind of like how that happened. So I, I, he was definitely one that had a lack of development. Go ahead, Greg. (coughs) Excuse me. Bastos was one of my favorite characters in this movie. I, I loved Brian Tyree Henry, but I took that as, his small way of sort of seeking redemption like he he, him you know being a part of life you know it was i i that's what how i interpreted that and why it took 60 70 years hard to say but that's how i saw that i a couple quick things about Phaistos as well probably one of the most visually interesting power sets in the MCU right now. I'm dying to see more of Phaistos because I, I thought he was just amazing in that final battle. And the other thing is, do we pretty much have confirmation that he created the Ten Rings? I mean, it was pretty clear to me. I know you mentioned it earlier, Brian, in your Shang-Chi review, but yeah. is it, did they pretty much say he did? It looks like well, he did. Those rings were just to form the Unimind, 
correct? The connection with the Unimind. Um, yeah, but he mentions like bracelets and they look almost exactly yeah. like Shang-Chi's rings. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, for a moment there, I thought that that's where they were going to go in the movie. But at the end of the day, I kind of just thought like those bracelets were, um, you know, just a, just a way to link up and create the, the Unimind. But did anybody else, did anybody else think about the Ten Rings from Shang-Chi? What the fuck? I thought about about it. Yeah. A lot of the technology in the MCU, I I just felt that, I I was hoping that Fastos was going to be responsible for a lot of things that we've seen. Yeah. That they were going to make a lot of those connections, but they, you know, they kind of just glossed over it and made it seem like he was just more of a, um, an asset to just technology in general, you know, just human development. Yeah, I, I kept thinking to myself, like, maybe we'll get, like, uh, the introduction to vibranium in the universe here. You know, like, maybe Fastos was the one that, you know, brought vibranium to the planet. And, you know, he was the one who dropped it off at the, you know, uh, the Wakandan's doorstep or something like that. We never got any of that kind of stuff. How about like an unseen moment from Iron Man where Fastos is making a small adjustment to the arc reactor? I mean, that might be going too far, but it'd be a fun drop. Yeah, I wouldn't want to take credit away from Stark for that. Like that, that would kind of dumb down that character a little bit. Yeah, I I think it it wasn't confirmed that he made the rings, but it definitely, to me, made it seem like it was still a very strong possibility. Yeah, absolutely. With them being, I mean, for the fact that they were here, you know, for, you know, 7,000 years and those rings were much older than a thousand years. That was confirmed in Shang-Chi. It just made me think like that type of technology, who else could have brought it to the planet? But, you know, the Eternals and Fastos at that point, like how else did it get here? Unless there were other aliens that came here before, um, unless, you know, I, I mean, Unless it's some kind of like that beacon at the end of Shang-Chi is calling Galactus, letting the planet know that it's ready for consumption. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I have no idea. Yeah, really, um, I really wanted to see more interaction um, or placement of the Eternals throughout the Marvel timeline, though, just because, you know, the, they're, trying to say that these guys are here all along. So, you know, I wanted to see some of that. You know, I wanted to see um, what were they doing when these things were happening. Yeah, they couldn't intervene, but they had to have been doing something or at least, you know, um, interacting somehow um, as opposed to just sitting at home and, and, and watching everything go down. Um, so, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more interaction throughout the Marvel um, MCU timeline. Um, and I also just really enjoyed seeing just the historical components as well and how they you know interacted with babylon and then with the aztecs and conquistadors and stuff like that I, I really loved that part and wanted more of that as well i thought there was just enough mcu connection honestly i i, I wouldn't have wanted to see more i i think the more kind of that stuff you put in the more it kind of doesn't let this movie breathe on its own I, I thought there was just enough like you never forgot that this was the mcu and there was tons of mentions of it and you know of course the you know the end game storyline really affected what went on here but like we didn't have to see all that stuff i, I was glad they kind of let this movie breathe on its own without just having mcu easter eggs all over the place i don't know i i wouldn't have been opposed to you know like the you know like we saw uh, Cersei 
you know, turn different things into, you know, rock into wood or, you know, we saw her turn, um, that one gigantic, was it like a mollusk or something like that into powder, um, and then even later in the movie, you know, she turns the wood on that, uh, on that, uh, building to some sort of like metal to protect the people inside from the deviants. I would have been opposed to like, you know, Cersei being the one to create possibly vibranium or even in this movie create adamantium, you know, leading us into like, you know, how Wolverine later on got, you know, his adamantium claws. Cause we know we're getting the X-Men. And then there's all these like teases, even in the trailers where they're showing like the DNA strand in the actual Eternals logo. And I felt like it was like, I, I mean, where did, can someone explain to me how that actually, how that DNA strand actually like, I know this deals with creation, but how that actually kind of affected planet Earth. I don't know. I'm still trying. I kept thinking, like, maybe, maybe that's teasing some X-Men stuff or – I don't know. Yeah. It must have just looked pretty because I, I do agree with you that it's really hard to connect the dot between, like, mm. what that logo is for and how it actually affects the storyline going on in this movie in any way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie, haven't heard much from you. What are you thinking? Um, I'm, I'm just listening. I'm agreeing with a lot of what people are saying. Um, um, going back to Fastos, I think my favorite part of most of the battles in the movie were when he was using his powers to detain Icarus. I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see that earlier on in the movie, but I guess the climax of it all works. I also, and maybe somebody can explain this who's familiar with the comics, and I think somebody i think greg alluded to it earlier i was assuming his power was his brain and his intellect but it also and like his ability to create technology um but it also looks like he could do some other things and i i just reading up like there's some superhuman strength there i think they all have that but i'd really like to just see what he's able to do like flushed out in like future films because i think that could be really cool to see and then i have a question is that later in the movie are we are we not there yet? Or can oh I no, it? you can we can jump all over the place in this one. The movie um, did. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> At the end, <laughs> when they're summoned back up after you know saving the, the people of Earth, yeah. How come they're all not summoned? Oh yeah. Well, um, the other ones are gone. They're not on Earth anymore. They took off on the uh, the domo the, uh, the domo yeah and and i think sprite didn't come up because she was turned human so she's no longer uh an eternal oh i guess i didn't realize that i i guess i didn't assume yeah i guess they were the eternals that were sent to earth but so i guess I, when they were on, when they were back on the their ship i guess i just assumed they were looking in like the general area of earth but they i didn't even think that they yeah but gone, you'd but think that the celestial Arisham would be able to summon all of them if that was the case. Yeah, yeah no, they that, all yeah, yeah. all took part in saving the planet. So why aren't all of them now being well? And then and Kingo Kingo <laughs> didn't even do that. Kingo, Kingo, didn't <laughs> yeah. Kingo didn't do anything. So it like he, he's like midwire yeah. harness yeah. flying, and then yeah. he's like, it's oh, kind of like <laughs> after kids do something bad and they all run away, and there's those three slow fuckers who don't quite get away, and they're the ones who get chewed out. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't understand that either. I guess it was just to kind of like further the plot along for for the other Eternals to to find them. So I'm yeah, I don't have an answer for that one. 
There, there's some plot logic issues. I mean, here's here's another one. And again, I'm sorry I have trouble getting past this. Okay, so let me let me understand. Like, they're mortal enemies with the deviants because the deviants are eating people, and you know we need life to power the celestials, and the deviants are slowly eating people. So we got to stop the deviants. However. This dude's gonna snap his finger and kill half of all life, and we can't interfere because that's a fucking human issue. But the dude, that's gonna slow down the celestial plan if half of all life is gone. So why wouldn't you get involved? I just don't. There are a lot of things in that that I struggle yeah. with. Yeah. Well, in the comics, think- too, uh, Thanos has a dormant deviant gene. Right. But that's like just like the way he does. Yeah. Yeah, that's just comics, so that hasn't been brought to light in. Um, you know, the MCU. So I don't know if that's going to be the case or something that we'll see later on down the road, but yeah. Yeah, I think they kind of made it a little clear that deviance was the reason why the Eternals were there. So if the deviants are going to kill intelligent life, then the Eternals step in. But if, uh, if the world kills itself or if, you know, we blow up ourselves with nuclear weapons and that's on us, that's just part of development, human development. Even if there's an alien invasion or, or attack by Thanos or, you know, uh, that's all just part of the natural course of things, I think, is how they were trying to explain it. But and that, and that means, was the one. It's interesting. Well, that makes sense. That makes 100 percent sense, because think about this. Um, Thanos. When he, you know, when he did the snap and he wanted to basically take 50 percent of all life and he wanted to do it because he explained on Titan that there were too many mouths to feed. And so what he ended up, what Thanos ended up doing was going back to Titan with his army, nuking the hell out of it and then knocking Titan off its axis. And so it just basically destroyed the whole planet. So there was no celestial to be born in Titan. If we're going by what we saw in this movie then. So basically that planet basically took care of its own, took its future in its own hands. Right? Yeah. It yeah. also would have been pretty interesting if they would have somehow tied in Thanos' plan to this whole emergence thing because then it would have made a lot more sense. Kill the population and well, the emergence. And well that and well Ajak even says that in this movie, like that what Thanos did delayed the emergence from happening for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting that, like, they kind of lay down that all this war and chaos just makes technology evolve faster. So in the end, it's a good thing. But what's the difference? Like, isn't the Thanos the same kind of thing? Like, wouldn't there be new technologies and developments just based on what he did? Like, people figuring out the next step? Like, it's what's the difference between one war or another? Like, that, that was very loosely explained. Yeah. Maybe Thanos is an old ex of Ajax and she's like, listen, I know we're not together anymore, but I still have feelings and I can't end you, so we're just going to ignore you. And I don't know. I I think it, well, I mean, I think it all just comes down to the fact that, you know, he's not a deviant and, and it's, and, but that's what changed, that's what changed Ajax's mind uh, about humanity is the fact that, you know, we were on the ropes and then we fought back. We fought back and we brought everybody back. We didn't want to die. There's something different about us. And so, you know, that's kind of like what changed her mind about humanity and about everything that they were doing. And yeah. Yeah. 
I also think it's hilarious that he like created the deviants and he's like, oh shit, uh, that didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> to deal with that thing because now it's getting weird. You guys just need to take care of each other so we can just keep on keeping on. <laughs> do you think? Like, do you think that? Uh, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think like. Like, I'm trying to think, like, where did dinosaurs come into all this and stuff, you know? <laughs> it's like, why? So, that was all part of it, like, all part of the plan, dinosaurs. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, is is that why they had to make the deviants so feral and aggressive because of dinosaurs? Like, that does seem well, like a poor it's like, it's like, well, we can't have dinosaurs around for when humans are here, so, you know... Was it worse? Was it really a meteorite that hit the Earth, the asteroid that, you know, I don't know, that wiped them out? I don't know. I thought the movie did kind of propose that it was the deviants that cleared the dinosaurs out. Yeah. I honestly felt like that was that was kind of put out there. It wasn't like smacked in your face, but I, I it was alluded to. How much celestial has to breach through the surface before the planet burst? I thought that was a little odd. I was That's hoping really got to fuck the mm-hmm. ecosystem up a bit, right? I was hoping that she would let it go on a little bit longer and then and then freeze them so that when you like looked at planet Earth from space, it looked like it just had arms and legs sticking out of it. <laughs> 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 like a Mr. Potato Head, a giant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like when Galactus shows up, he's like, "Oh my God, what? <laughs> I've never seen a planet like this before." <laughs> oh, man. Like man. When they showed him burst out of fucking the planet, I was like, "Move over, Grogu. We have a new cutest fucking baby." Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Icarus is dead? Yes. You think he's gone? Gone. I was wondering. They didn't show was, the body. That's true, but <laughs> he's a little crispy. Maybe I don't know. That was really jarring. Like I was not expecting that him just being like, "Okay, I'm done. I'm gonna just suicide into the sun." Pretty, pretty right. heavy moment for a kids' movie. Right. I thought there too, almost just heavy. as heavy as the sex. Yeah. Something else that was disappointing for me. I loved watching Fina kill that deviant. That was a really cool scene for me. It seemed like too easy of a kill, though. This it's thing that had, yeah, yeah, like he'd been this or they had been like absorbing all the powers, which I thought was odd at times. But now nobody's been able to kill it. They, it's it's fought quite a few of the Eternals at this point, and then she's got her arms tied behind her back. She does her magical sword, swipes it a couple times, and they're gone. I'm like, that's just that didn't seem like the buildup needed for this creature that we've been watching evolve over the past two hours. I didn't. I found it interesting. It's funny because I was, so that character's name is Crow, which I don't think he's named in the movie, but he's an action figure, which is why I know he's named Crow. Well, they were, they were in a romantic relationship in the comics, Crow and Thena. Yeah. So I'm watching this and I'm saying to myself, this is kind of an interesting concept where you have like this super old apex predator that, very quickly achieves like higher consciousness and you know and i actually was surprised he wasn't in the movie more just because of the marketing i'm I'm figuring we're gonna see him a lot by the end of the movie i'm like okay maybe they're setting him up to be like an emerging villain later and then obviously he gets killed off quickly but i thought the concept was really interesting but they just almost did nothing with it it reminded Um, me of gremlins 2 with like the brain gremlin (laughs) the vegetable gremlin (laughs) <laughs> and like how much of his consciousness was Gilgamesh and I I, I thought he was intriguing and was hoping we got more of him, but yeah. not gonna happen. 
And it's interesting to think about it that scene that way because I kind of looked at it as he was this apex predator in this kind of like I'm in a, an attack mode. I'm always looking for a fight. And so the way that she won was to trick him, right? To like let him think that he had won. And he's like, so he's like emerging consciousness. And see now I'm the, I'm the, and he almost like playing on this, on this like apex predator um, narcissism that he has in that moment of like, you know, I'm sentient now and I can, you know, we need to take you out and letting, letting his guard down in a moment that she can just still do her thing and say, fuck you. Um, that, that that's how I approached it. And because I thought it was interesting, right? As they were fighting, they kept, they, no one was able to really like to defeat him in that moment. It almost took him letting him win to actually be able to, to kind of let his guard down is, is the way I looked at it. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, these things have been healing themselves now since they killed Ajax, And it just seemed like, you know, a couple slices from off with the head, man. You gotta take it off with the head. Yeah, it just man, you can't heal because he has no head. It went on Resident Evil gridlock. Oh, I was into it. Yeah, what did you guys think of the design of the deviants? It wasn't the uh, greatest was thing ever. Like, eh, I, you know, I do agree that they like the more it evolved, the worse it kind of looked. I thought the initial look in the very first flashback was the best look. Yeah, I, I liked the middle stage because they, they kind of got this like mythological pieces to them, like a griffin and all of that stuff. And I was like, that's kind of cool because I, I loved it throughout. They were hinting at like that the Eternals were were basically dictating and being part of all of these mythologies throughout the world. Right. And so that maybe them being the kind of griffin ones or the, you know, other mythological, the Minotaur looking one um, might have also played into those myths. So for me, it was kind of cool. But again, they took it too far, made him weirdly human, and I was out. Yeah, yeah early on, it, they kind of reminded me of, um, if, if any of you have seen Princess Mononoke, the sort of early in the movie, the boar becomes this giant mass of yeah. kind of like snakes that are constantly moving. But I actually thought it, it wasn't quite as visually interesting as Princess Mononoke, but I, it felt like the deviants were just cannon fodder. And I don't necessarily know that I got a good enough look at them to really understand what the hell they even look you know, some of them look like fucked up Pokemon, to be honest. Like, a couple of them, I'm like, is that a Pokemon? <laughs> they look like, to, <laughs> to me, like, they look like, they look like, um, alien pool noodles that were all put together. <laughs> and they, for, or some kind of like fucked up, like, balloon animal that I, you know what I mean? Like, a, if a serial killer was a, a, a clown that made balloon animals, he would make deviants. Um, <laughs> but yeah. They, I don't know. I thought, I thought, I think, here's the thing. They didn't look great in IMAX, but they looked really fucking cool in real 3D. I will say that. Um, I thought they looked oh, really that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Like all the pool noodles were like all like separated and moving all over the place and shit. Yeah. It was kind of like that, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about one of my, one of my favorite scenes is, uh, when they go to Australia, uh, the Eternals, they're all, you know, getting the band back together. We got our, you know, Blues Brothers moment here where they're all, you know, getting the band back together. And they go to Australia and they're going to meet with, uh, Gilgamesh and, uh, and Thena. And they tell Gilgamesh that Ajax is dead. And he, like, he's pulling that, you know, pie out of the oven. And I love how he didn't, he just uses his hand, bare hand on, the, yeah. on this, like, really hot pan and shit. Uh, and then he just drops Aww. the pie. My whole, 
audience like really reacted to to Don Lee's performance in that and like how it broke him. I thought he was fantastic in this movie, and it really burns me up that he fucking died because I love Don Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I thought it was really subtle too, where he was just tearing the pan up too, even afterwards sitting down. Like they didn't draw attention to it. Like look at the special effect, but you could see him like in the bottom right of your screen just fucking that pan up and frustration <laughs> and then he's he's I got dreams of gilgamesh meeting thor and gilgamesh meeting hulk and yeah it was dashed yeah, yeah. It was a huge bummer yeah i wish we would have seen a lot more of his fighting too i felt like there was just a lot of punching and that was really all he did <laughs> just a lot of punching um but i <laughs> one of the funniest parts for me though was when uh, they're all eating, you know, he'd made that meal and then he gives the, gives Thena the non-alcoholic drink and then he makes a joke that that's the same drink he gave to Sprite and then she turns him into a baby. <laughs> and he's got a, he's got a bib, bib that says Gilgamesh and I, I thought that that was super fucking funny. I loved that. Yeah. I loved all the yeah. other characters' reactions to that too. Everyone else seemed to think it was quite hilarious as well. Yeah, even Thena started laughing, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Speaking of um that character and the fact that he he died, um did you guys get the sense that all the Eternals look like them or is it are are they all different? Because when they're showing the the robot versions of them, there are multiple versions of the same one. Yes. So like, is there another Gilgamesh that's in another planet somewhere? I was trying to think. I was trying to figure that out too. I didn't know if they all looked alike or if I if my eyes were just darting towards the one that looked like familiar ones. But you're saying they definitely like there is multiple Fastos, there is multiple Cersei's. Yeah, that's what I saw, and and I mean I could be wrong, but it looked like there were multiple you know ver- versions of them. And it's possible that, you know, there's other uh, Gilgameshes out there as well. Yeah, I th- I had that thought too, but I didn't know 100% sure if I, like, saw multiples or, or you know, or if my eyes were just... Because, like, you know, those scenes would switch and then I'd be, like, I'd be fixated. Oh, that one looks like Fastos. Do, do I see another one that looks like him? But some of them look... Some of them did look different, so I don't know. Yeah. I wouldn't well, be surprised. The end credit scene too, right? And he's another Eternal. Well, yeah, we're gonna get to the end credits. We'll talk about the end credits. Um, but like more in the way that he's a different, he's a different one, right? Like he's sure. not. Uh, so it's like, okay, do you have like a whole set of twenty, and we only saw like ten, or like, well, how does it? How does it work? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And how is so? Is that does that mean Thanos is an Eternal? He's 18 mm. in this edit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, it, it, but it, I agree, though. It, it appeared that they were trying to give us the impression that there were more of the same ones mm-hmm. is what I kind of got from it as well. So if they were trying to say differently, it just I don't think they made it clear enough. Right. <laughs> like, I was like, what was that? What was the machine called? The world engine uh, that was pumping the out the Eternals? No, the Unimind is what connected them all yeah. together to use their power. What was the machine called that was actually making them? That was the world engine, right? Oh, what was it? That sounds right. 
Yeah. I mean, maybe the world engine only just has so many molds. I, I had the same issue as Brian, too. It was really hard to, to follow. Like, I'd see one that looked like another character, but I definitely also saw ones that looked nothing like any of the characters we were introduced to. Same. So I'd have to see a still frame of that scene to see if it was like a duplicating pattern. I, I could not tell. I Tristan's seen it three times, so he may be, he may be there. But I definitely well, saw multiple Fastos. 100%. Here's where it gets ugly, though, because imagine now if there are multiple Fastos, but we also have a multiverse with variants. So if there's another Fastos, it's like, is that fa- another Fastos or is that a variant Fastos? <laughs> It'd be so confusing. Yeah, well, we know that Eternals can't go to um, uh, the Time Authority, the TVA, because they have those uh, that machine that lets them know if, if you're a robot, oh, you get destroyed. Good call. Good call. That's a great call. Yeah, like, are you? Do you do you know if you're a robot? You know, because like, because like, all robots get destroyed when they walk through like that fucking TVA uh, scanner. So, and I'm intrigued if that was in their mind. If there's a legit connection there, I not. think there is. I, I, I they definitely they definitely don't want like any Eternals going into the TVA. Do you think it's possible there there are like sleeper agent Eternals? You know, kind of like how they did with Cylons and Battlestar Galactica. Like, there's Eternals that think they're human. I mean, they definitely have the ability to wipe their memories. And, and you know, are we getting too much into like what we're going to see in Secret Evasion though? With you know, mm-hmm. oh, that's a great point. Like, I thought the, the that. I thought that. I thought well, it was the deviance of like them taking powers. I was like, feels very rogue. Feels very scrolls. Like super scroll. I'm going to take all your powers and then fight you. Like. So yeah, thinking about that in Eternals level is also crazy. Here's a deep cut. I don't know if you remember this, Jake, but in the early issues of Rob, Rob Liefeld's X-Force, they established that Cannonball is secretly an Eternal, but then it was retconned later. So that that is oh, some precedent I, for that. I do remember that. People were very upset about that, I, I very, remember at the time. Very, angry. He was killed by Sauron, and then he survives. And they're like, well, it's because he's immortal because he's an Eternal. So, yeah, it was yeah, a cliffhanger was... and then just kind of a really lame, like, just way to say, oh, he's back. Yep. Yeah, there was a shocking amount of Eternal material in the X-Men in the 90s, too. Hey, that was really? kind of where you that... saw a lot of it. That's where I was introduced. I had no idea who they were. I remember reading that and being like, who the hell are the Eternals? I was kind of taken aback when Druig fucking hit Sprite in the back of the head with that rock. (laughs) (laughs) I think my first audience laughed so awkwardly at that scene. Some of them just like kind of like laughed awkwardly and some of them were just outright just dying laughing because it was just like bonk and she just fucking goes down. It's like kids hit by rocks too often in movies. No. Yeah. He just, I was hoping that Sam was Gamgee was going to come in from off frame and carry Cersei up the volcano. I was, I was hoping that Chris Tucker would have came in and said, you got knocked the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just a quick toasty guy appearance from Mortal Kombat for that moment. Toasty. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um <laughs> so we basically find out um 
that let's talk about the Eternals origin here. We find out that instead of being real organic beings from the world called Olympia, that the Eternals are creations of the celestials designed to bring about life on a planet until the core of the world is ready to give birth to a new celestial. This information totally changes the perspective of all the main characters and how they view their existence, which makes um, the introduction of Eros. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, very interesting, but um yeah, so we basically find out that they're not from the world called Olympia. They're um, not real. They're not organic. They're they're robots, and uh, that the celestials have been uh, uh, putting seeds into planets and uh, the population and their knowledge and and their evolution basically feeds this seed and uh, a, a celestial will burst out of that planet and then create um, more life billions billions of uh, of, of uh, new life um, so I don't know man I, I, I guess I wasn't I wasn't quite prepared for like that kind of story here I thought going into this movie that with I thought the deviants would show up on planets that were um, that had like new life on it and keep the population down. And after the after tone, excuse me, after Hulk um, Bruce Banner's snap and he brought everybody back, that's what brought the deviants back. I didn't think that this was going to be a movie about you know birthing celestials inside. Side Earth. I was totally, totally taken back by that. I had no idea that that's the story we were looking at. Yeah, I was right there with you. I thought it was just going to be Deviants, um, Eternals. And yeah, once we got to the all creation is made by these celestials birthing out of planets that have been seeded. I <laughs> I was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was my original. I mean, I did read the spoilers later on Reddit. And, you know, those spoilers, if you read the, the spoilers that came out, well, I, I, I told everybody about them in August and I sent them out to some listeners that wanted to, to read them. That basically goes beat for beat for this movie. So even, even the post, the mid credit scene, the post credit scene were in that. But going, you know, before that, I had no idea that that, that was the, that this was the, the story we were looking at. So it, it does bring up all sorts of fan theory fodder though. Like, so. Could we someday get Galactus and he's actually feeding off the celestial seeds and there's some kind of relationship between like Galactus and the celestial? I, I don't, I don't know. I think, I I'd think, curious. oh, go ahead. Galactus is definitely way more doable now though. I mean, because after you see a freaking celestial, you know, Aramesh, it's like the logical leap for audiences to see a Galactus is not going to be as grand, you know, so I think that. It's definitely a, a baby step to Galactus. Oh, we're definitely getting Galactus, and I think a lot of this sets it up. And I'll talk about that when we get to the the mid and the the post uh, the mid credit scene. Excuse me. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if when we get Galactus, we saw Galactus killing a Celestial just to cement how big and bad and powerful Galactus is. Like you know, they're they're very similar. So you want to just quickly establish that Galactus is even more of an evil threat. And how better to do that than like you know have him kill Astra or something? I was so a, I could yeah. See it. I was a little upset that when Cersei turned that deviant into a tree, that nobody called it a treviant. 
<laughs> I was like, that is a perfectly good joke that no one is saying right now. Kingo, where are you? Where's Kumail Nanjiani with the treviant joke? I would love to have heard that. Yeah, they made a big deal out of her having the ability to do that, but I really didn't see how that connected to any story developments later on down the line. Uh, well, I mean, she turned the, she turned, she turned the, um, celestial into, it was either ice or, or rock. Oh, oh, okay. 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 So she'd never been able to turn like a living thing into something else. It's always been like, I guess just inanimate objects and shit. So. Gotcha. I guess it was the contorting, the deviant part of it that I, I didn't make the connection to her just freezing the celestial. It was hard to make out in my showing. You know, I saw it in XD uh, at a Cinemark theater, you know, those really bright bulbs. And I thought she, like, froze the water inside the deviant's body or something like that. But they had, when they said, oh, she turned it into a tree, I went, oh, okay, I guess that changes things. What was, did you guys, did you guys look into this? Did you, you know, th- this whole time, um, there's this, like, little side story of Makari looking for the, emerald tablet did you guys look into that at all yeah it felt like they were planting seeds for something uh yeah tristan it sounds like you looked into it i I did as well yeah the emerald tablet it's like a it's like an artifact from um is it from medieval times uh something like that yeah i got this off the internet um among the objects she collected during the centuries are the emerald tablet and excalibur Excalibur is the magic sword supposedly used by King Arthur. As for the tablet, it's the registry of sacred texts left behind Hermes, uh, a syncretic combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. The tablet supposedly contains the secrets of alchemy and the recipe for the philosopher's stone, an artifact capable of giving its user eternal life. I wonder how that's going to play later on in the MCU. Yeah. If someone's going to figure out that kind of stuff. So, or maybe that was just something that, you know, the writer fancied that he wanted to slip in here because it's, you know, a real life legend and mythology. Yeah, but they kept bringing it up even at the end, you know, like that tablet. So I don't know. Maybe it is just kind of something that they threw in there, but I kept thinking to myself, does this have more meaning? Are we going to see this tablet pop up? You know, this, this artifact. So I did the research, but I don't see how it's going to play off into like future MCU stuff. What if Dr. Doom gets a hold of it eventually? Yeah. Well, doc, Dr. Doom can get a hold of all that shit that's on the Domo and cause havoc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dr. Doom can take power from celestials and go, go to town. So hopefully we're looking at a Doctor Doom like that. Yeah, I mean that's like one of the just best aspects of that character is the fact that he's not superhuman, but he can just mm-hmm. usurp people's powers and become more powerful than them. Yeah, like that whole treasure room feels like these are Easter eggs that if we want to use later, we can totally use later. If we don't, it's fun anyway. Everyone wins. Let's talk about, yeah, let's, I, I guess we can just, we can jump to the end of this movie. Um, can, we do, can we do a quick break? Yeah, we can do a break. We are Venom. And if you don't join the Pop Culture Leftovers Patreon, we will eat both of your arms and then both of your legs. And then we will eat your 
face right over your head. You will be this obvious, legless, faceless thing, won't you? Rolling down the street like a turd. In the wind. Head over to Patreon.com and join now for only $6 a month. All right. Hey, we are back. Stephanie, you had a question for us. Yes. Does Thena, is Thena still going to have the issue with her mind reverting now? Is that because she still has the weight of those old memories? So is that going to continue to be a concern for her? Well, not, I don't think she's going to be fighting with these Eternals because they're all on her side now. That was basically, that was a mind fracture that was, that was coming about because she was fighting against them. Uh, trying to destroy Earth. I don't think it's an issue now. She said in the movie that she's over it now, right? Yeah, I took it as she was over it. That okay. Like as soon as they all kind of like came together, I felt like that's it. She doesn't. I mean, that's the the only reason she was attacking them was because she's fighting a, the Eternals to stop them from helping the Celestials, and now all the Eternals are kind of like on the side of, you know, the people of Earth, and so there's really no reason to do that. So I don't think her mind would fracture at this point from from those past memories. I think that with the fact that all the Eternals are, are so close and, like, now they're all on the same page that... Am I making sense? Totally. That's yeah. the way I took it. Yeah. That once she got all the new information, it kind of course-corrected her brain and that she wasn't going to attack her fellow Eternals because they also weren't trying to help the emergence along. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, let's see here. I don't know. Any more questions before we kind of like jump in? Cause I do want to start talking about the end of the movie and then dive into mid credits and post credits. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about post credits. Okay. Well, let's get to the, the very, end of this movie we've got um the team they part ways athena druig and makari get to the domo and they're gonna find other eternals and then cersei fastos kingo and sprite stay on earth and then icarus flies into the sun um dane professes his love for cersei and is getting ready to tell her about you know his um the secret about his family history and all of a sudden, Cersei, Fastos, and Kingo are teleported into space by Ersham the Judge, the Celestial. Uh, and he is basically, he tells them that, you know, you have, cho- he says, you have chosen to sacrifice a Celestial for the people of this planet. I will spare them, but your memories will determine if they are worthy to live, and I will return in judgment. So what did you guys take as like, what is the next step? Where is this going? Cause I, I have theories, but I wanted to hear what you guys thought. I feel that the next time that we see this core group, whether it be the eternal sequel or, uh, you know, side story and, you know, one of the other cosmic movies is that there's going to be some sort of, um, trial. Yeah, where where, uh, he's basically taking their their memories and trying to determine whether or not the Earth is worth saving. One issue that I have with that whole concept is that, you know, Ajax and and I think it was, you know, Ajax and the the other Eternals that opposed 
the emergence were saying, oh, this planet is special. Like these people deserve to live. It's like, okay, what, why do the other planets, you know, deserve to die? I think just life in general. I mean, don't we all deserve to live? What about Earth made them think that, okay, we don't need to emerge here. This is just something different. Mm hmm. Yeah, maybe it was just time. Maybe after so much, you know, so many thousands and thousands of years of doing this, maybe that's all it took was just, you know, it, like what was happening to Athena and, you know, Ajax kind of started realizing it. Maybe it was just a matter of time. Like the other planets suffered because they were the first and they weren't, you know, they fully believed the lie mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of like the TVA believing in what they were doing. I, you know, and I think, I think, I think the big thing that happened was the fact that Ajax saw humans fight back from, you know, from the snap and bring everybody back. And that's, you know, that, that kind of like set us apart as, you know, but yeah, a lot of other planets have been destroyed. So yeah, for all we know, earth wouldn't exist without those other planets being destroyed. Like that's kind of, you know, they were kind of putting that out there. Like it was, some of these, you know, celestials cr- making this creation and bursting these planets in the first place that got our planet created. I'm going to get into like what I think is going to happen, but I, I, let's break down this mid credit scene and I'll, I'll get us there. Um, in the mid credit scene, we see Thena, Makari, and Druig, and uh, they're visited um, by uh, an eternal Eros, the brother of Thanos, and Pip. So their ship, it's it's flying through space. And they've lost contact with Earth. And there's this disturbance or this vibration. And, and Makari and Thena pick up on it. Druig does not. And um, that disturbance is when Erisham uh, arrives to take Cersei, Fastos, and Kingo for their judgment. And uh, Thena then tells them to change course and go back. We then see these lights beginning to flash. And it's not it's not like a portal you know, that we'd see from like, you know, uh, you know, Dr. Strange or Wong, like a sling ring. It's, it's different. It's these flashing kind of like lights. Um, and we hear, uh, Pip the Troll voiced by Patton Oswalt and he's introducing a new eternal Eros, um, to the group. He says, behold the royal prince of Titan, brother of Thanos, defeater of Black Robert. And then we hear Roger and he says, defeater of Black Roger, the great adventure Star Fox. And we get, uh, Star Fox, Eros, played by Harry Styles, and uh, he's introduced as the brother of Thanos, which really stands out to – it stood out to everybody in my theater. And let's get into some of these characters. Um, I don't know how they're – how they showed up, how they just – transported themselves there but in the comics pip the troll once had possession for a short time of the space gem and they're they're called gems in the comics so he had the space gem um but once he gave it back up he still had the power to teleport through space so i don't know if that's if it's pip the troll that's the one that's teleporting in there or if it's eros i have no idea um Eero says, what a pleasure to make your acquaintance, my fellow Eternals. So he's introducing himself as an Eternal as well. You know, you really don't have to do that whole thing every time, talking about his introduction. He says, I'm Eros, this is Pip, and you are as beautiful as legend says, Thena. Your friends are in big trouble, and we know where to find them. Um, That's a big thing right there. 
Your friends are in big trouble and we know where to find them. So he shows them uh, that he also has like this golden snitch looking thing from Harry Potter uh, that we keep <laughs> that Ajax has pop out of her neck. Um, anyway, in Greek mythology, Eros is the Greek god of love, uh, also known as Cupid. And um, in the comics, he can kind of like uh, make people make people fall in love with him. Um, control their emotions and uh he's had he's had intimate relationships with a lot of different characters in the comics um he's an eternal he's the second son of titan and he's the son to alars and in the comics alars was brothers was a brother to zuros who is thena's father and so in the comics thena and eros are first cousins um Pip the Troll is his sidekick, who is once a sidekick to Adam Warlock, who we're going to be seeing in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And Pip was not always a troll, but he got, he was actually a prince at one time, and he got drunk with some trolls, and then turned into a troll. So anyway, in the comics, he's a sidekick to Adam Warlock, so we've got that connection, and that could be playing into Volume 3. Um, and Adam Warlock, Pip, and Gamora have connections to Soul World, which I find interesting, especially going into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Thanos had planned, in the comics, Thanos had planned on destroying all the stars. It was like a way of, Thanos has a relationship with death. Death is a a physical being, a female creature that Thanos, uh, Thanos is love interest and he's always trying to impress her. And, you know, she's always kind of like, um, refuting his love. And so he's going to destroy all the stars to show death, how much he loves her. And then Thanos gets Adam Warlock enraged when he wipes the mind of Pip and Warlock found Pip, and he's basically a mindless body at this point. He's wiped his memories. So what he did was Adam Warlock drew his friend Spirit Pip into the Soul Gem. And so now Pip's soul is in the gem. And once Pip, once, once Warlock had his soul in the gem, he learned of Thanos' plan of destroying the stars. So, and then there was a time where he lived in the soul gem with Pip and Gamora. So there's this theory that in Volume 3, Warlock might be able, he has a connection to the soul world. And the last time we saw Gamora was in Soul World. We saw her soul as a child in Endgame. There's a theory that Adam Warlock in that movie might be able to pull the soul out of this soul world, this pocket dimension soul world, and bring back Gamora. Wow, that's super cool. I, I like that connection a lot. Like that's where I was introduced to a lot of these characters was their connection with Adam Warlock, um, especially Pip, Gamora, Drax. Like, the first time I saw any of these characters was, you know, first in, like, Infinity Gauntlet and then reading Warlock in the Infinity Watch afterwards. 
So, yeah, it's really exciting to see Pip involved. And I think you got something. I think there will be some kind of connection between the Soul Stone and, and Soul World and, and these characters. I, I can't imagine them not doing it. And I, I do believe that it was Pip that probably transported them. And that's why it just looks so funky. Like, they definitely made a point to make that special effect look very different than any kind of transportation we'd ever seen before. So I, I really do think it was Pip. Well, there's two theories. Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, it, it feels like there's at least some possibility that maybe some version of the Infinity Watch is the next version of the Guardians. Because that's a, you know, we've heard a million times over that the, the, this is the last journey with this team. But we might get more Guardians in the future. Obviously, probably not with James Gunn. There's this, there's a, a couple theories. Um, basically, like, you know, we, we hear, we, Eero says, you know, uh, your friends are in trouble. I know where to find them. Okay. First off, how does he know where to find them? There's a couple theories I'm going to go over them here. The theory, the, this is one that I like, but I'm, I don't, I'm not leaning towards it, but it does have connections to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 with Adam Warlock if it does happen. All right. Anyway, when Thanos snapped the first time, we saw, you know, the damage it did to Thanos. But then he snapped again to destroy them when he was on that planet. Okay, and they, we find out that you can't really destroy the stones. They basically, they're on a molecular level. What if the stones um, somehow reforged themselves into something and the soul stone was found by Eros? And that celestial ball that we see that he has, that gold ball, what if that is encasing what's left of the soul stone? And that's how he's able to find them because that that can find any soul. Any soul that they're mm. looking for, it can find them. So maybe it's like a soul tracker at this point. Um, that's one of the theories is um, that uh, that maybe this is the soul stone reforged. That's a cool theory. Do you and think that's possibly how Pip's doing the transporting too? Like his his stone has been reforged as well. Possibly, and he has like a space stone, but it didn't look like the, it. Did, it wasn't blue like when the space stone would transport um, Thanos or, or Loki or anything like that. It 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 was all these different colors. It looked more like if if you took the Bifrost and you mixed it in with like the Star Trek ta- transporter. Um, because it was flashing all like these different rainbow colors, so it looked like Bifrost meets Star Trek Transporter. So I don't know if that was you know Space Stone or not, and I don't know if it was actually Pip that was doing the transporting. It could have been Eros. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Eros could have just been doing all of it. I mean, that's not a power that we've known he's had in the comics. But sure, again, it could it could just be something that he's he's gotten along the way i'm sure that's something we will we will get an answer to is how they're teleporting but what i like about this theory is the fact that like if this does lead us into guardians of the galaxy volume three and the soul stone is in there that means if adam warlock gets his hands on that and we've seen stones encased in other things before you know if if adam warlock gets his hands on that he might be able to pull gamora out of the soul world yeah, what I think about that's... Black Widow. <laughs> no, she's dead. She's on Vorm. She's on. She's on Vormir, which is different than the Soul World, right? Didn't yes. they both fall off the same cliff? No, no, no. no. 
Oh, sh- but okay. No, yeah, I didn't even think of that. I think Scarlett Johansson's lawyers have prevented this from actually happening. Yeah. But. No, that's a, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't think we're not getting Scarlett Johansson back. Yeah, I mean they fell off the same cliff, but I think still something different happened. I, I think Thanos kind of was able to keep her essence in the Soul Stone, like maybe subconsciously put her in the Soul World when he did that, just to keep like a fragment of her around. But I there's going to be some kind of loophole that it's it's a little bit of a different effect. Well, I was I, I see it being. No, I always wondered, like, if, you know, if Scarlet, like, if Black Widow was now, like, the new keeper of Vormir, and maybe somehow, you know, Red Skull is going to get released again, and we might have Red Skull as a villain going forward in the future. But, um, I don't know. That's just a theory. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll forever be disappointing that Red Skull is just the one-off villain, and, like, he's very much a Doctor Doom-like character in the comic books that, you know, gets everyone fighting against them and it, it feels like we're, we're just never going to do any more with him like what they gave us in in game is the end I, yeah. I could see red skull coming back for cap four with sam wilson that's my my early prediction I, I think there's a lot for like the legacy of sam having to fight red skull would be meaningful but that's just my my guess yeah i feel like it's we got to wait till a total reboot before we're ever going to see cap versus red skull again but i could be wrong uh, let's see. I do want to get into the other way. Maybe he knows of where they're, of where Eros knows where they're going and how they can find them. So he's got like, as far as we know, the, that golden globe that he has is just a celestial communicator. Um, he's in, not in control of, Erishim's not in control of him though. I feel like, He's, I think that all these different celestials have different eternals under them. And so maybe the, you know, mm. other celestials are not so aligned. I think there might be celestial sympathizers or uh, human sympathizers within the celestials. And maybe he, maybe his celestial is 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 a human sympathizer and has set him free maybe he's free from celestial control and well ego was a celestial in guardians too right well we as if we're believing his story then yes yeah yeah and then he was spreading his seed in a very different way you know what Cause i think it well literally in <laughs> It, like by Peter and by these plants, he was putting all over these planets. Yeah. Right? So it, it definitely seems like all the celestials aren't necessarily. Um, they're not all doing the same thing necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where is Erisham going with the other Eternals? Uh, let me jump into that. I guess um, in the Loki series. There's a point in the Loki series where Mobius is talking to Loki about, you know, the branch timelines and him creating new branches and, and, you know, branches they've had to prune. Then we get like the whole, um, this is when, when, when Loki arrives to the TVA and he's showing him like moments in Loki's life. And we see the whole DB Cooper story with Loki where he's in the plane and he, you know, he gets the, the, the $200,000 jumps out of the plane and Loki at some point, and I'm paraphrasing here is basically saying, so there's nothing wrong with that. You guys didn't prune me for doing that, 
But uh, what I did with the space stone and and all of that, that's a problem. And Mobius then jumps into like how his department doesn't handle what's right or wrong and that it's and he's going to go into something else and then he cuts himself off. And I think he might be talking about the living tribunal, which when we get to the void where we see Eliath in the Loki series, there's a head of a statue in the grass, which looks exactly like the living tribunal from the comics. So the theory is that we're going to be going to a celestial court with Cersei um, as like the defendant and Eros and Pip and the other Eternals are going to show up to help represent her cause and maybe even they're backed by other Celestials and, you know, maybe all the Celestials are not in agreement with like this, this emergence. Maybe the, there are, you know, human sympathizers within the Celestials. Um, and Eero says, uh, okay, no, I think I've covered everything there. All I'm thinking is that, yeah, what do you guys think about that? And then I'm going to get into something completely different. Yeah, I love that a lot. I, I hope we do get to see that trial. Like, I hope it's not something that we're just going to talk, like, we're going to see the characters again and they're going to tell us what happened. Like, I, I really want to see the Living Tribunal and that trial. And, and I do think that there could be human sympathizers and that, like, maybe possibly war between the Celestials breaks out because of this trial. And causes chaos all over, all over the universe. I'm thinking that could be definitely be a thing, and I think that if Erishim the Judge is defeated, it could bring about Galactus as the devourer of worlds. And so, basically, there is no judgment with Galactus. We've just got. I think that maybe Galactus has been kept at bay because Erishim the Judge is around, and it's almost like you know, it's like in Star Wars, there's always a bigger fish. And I think if Erishim the Judge is defeated, it could bring about Galactus. Now Galactus is just like, you know, now he's just like, holy shit, you know, I'm fucking hungry. And and he, there's no judgment with Galactus. He's just going to – he's a hungry planet killer. He's just going to turn worlds into energy and consume them. But I think before we even get Galactus, we'll probably see like – in a post credit scene or something like that, we could see Norrin Rad, you know, the Silver Surfer show up and, and scout Galactus's like next, um, you know, planet to feed on. And that could be Earth. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just piggybacking on what you're saying, Brian, and also what Jake said earlier, I feel that Erishim is just kind of being set up to be, okay, he's like the god of the universe and he's going to be the tool that shows you how powerful Galactus is because Galactus is going to come by and, Kill Erishim at some point. Yeah, Galactus could show up and kill Erishim. Absolutely. Yeah. I really think that is what's going to happen. Just to really, you know, solidify how powerful Galactus is. Yeah. Especially because Erishim's not depicted as being evil. You know, he's not he's not a villain. Um, he's just basically going about his, his little methods, um, which inher are inherently good. You know, just creating life and universes and things like that. And, you know, he's not going to be a big bad, I, I, I foresee in the MCU. I think the person that kills Erishim is going to be the one that you got to worry about. Where does Kang fit in all of this, you know? I, like, I was just going to say, I, I, there's also the possibility that this Kang somehow try to steal Erishim's power. Like, that, that's a very Kang move, you know? 
to try to harness the Celestial's power somehow. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Like, what what does Kang get from all of this, and how much of this does he understand and know, and how does this affect his plan? And we don't even really know his motives yet. Well, he's a conqueror. I, well, I guess we don't know what version of Kang we're getting, but. Mm. How did the Celestials relate to the the multiverse? I mean, is there are there multiple Celestials, or are they outside of the multiverse? Yeah, I mean, yeah, these are questions they got to answer. Because yeah, I'm thinking yeah. like we're just we're just basically dealing with like our universe, but what about like other you know other branch timelines and other you know multiverses and stuff like that? Like, like where do you draw the line? Because uh, you can honestly then just go out into this like. Infinity. Well, yeah, I feel. Well, I feel like the characters, right? Well, I feel like the MCU is tackling a, a lot right now, like introducing Celestials, and then also we, ha- you know, we're getting introduced to the multiverse, and there's so much supernatural going- too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're talking about creation and the multiverse at the same time, and it's like, how do you combine those two storylines into one cohesive storyline, or? Are they even going to bother trying to combine those two storylines? Yeah, yeah. Is Phase Four is Phase Four just the multiverse leading up to, um, you know, like Battle World or, or Secret Wars, you know, or or, like, <laughs> and then, but then we've got the Celestials to worry about as well. Like, when is that coming back? Is that coming back post Phase Four? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I well, I. I honestly think like I feel like multiverse stuff could go on for like I was thinking it could go on for like the next ten years. I know Unless I thought it would never end. Yeah. I mean I, I never thought they would stop multiverse stuff. I thought they were just spending a lot of time to define it and let us know the current state of it. But I don't think they will close the door. I think they'll always leave the door open because it's it makes such an easy, convenient plot device to do all kinds of things down the line. Yeah, I was like just like, cast characters among yes. other things. <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel that there's going to have to be some curtailing of the multiverse because uh, and I think in Doctor Strange something's going to happen to where, you know, you just can't say okay, well, we'll just fix it with the multiverse. You know, it's there might be something that makes it more difficult to open that door whether it's just, you know, someone holds the key or someone, you know, something mm-hmm. happens to where it just doesn't necessarily become an easy plot device to to fix any problem that you have i think it's going to get worse before it gets better you think so i don't think we're curtailing it at dr strange yet Mm. so i i think it's all kang is all about this like multiverse stuff and i I think until we have we resolve our storyline with him it's just going to continue to get worse i just thought a good point because he's not even coming until ant-man so yeah i just thought it was all going to lead to like basically uh, a battle world where we're going to see like multiple versions of different characters fighting each other. And there's just going to be like one dominant, you know, like all these other multiverses would have to be destroyed and just leave us with one, with one universe. Do the Hickman thing. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. I could see that very well too. Kind of do that plot line and how much fun will that be to, I mean, we'll be able to introduce new characters from the multiverse fighting other characters and just see a lot of combinations of things we've seen. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels like the next big event. Yeah, it does. It feels like the next big event is going to be something like a, like, like a secret wars. 
Um, but I think even then they're not going to completely shut that door, right? There's always going to be that that piece of string that'll let them like pull back into the multiverse stuff. I I think once you open that door, you can never completely shut it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Can I talk about smaller potatoes really quick? I, yeah. I, I love Pip the Troll so much as a Marvel as like a six one six character. I was a little bit disappointed at the casting of Patton Oswald. It just felt like a really safe, easy choice. And it's like it just feels like they could have done so much better. I I don't even dislike him, but like he just did the Modoc thing and it was so obviously him. It wasn't like, oh my god, Bradley Cooper's like a different person doing Rocket Raccoon. It was just it was really distracting that it was just straight up Patton Oswald to me. And I I don't know. I'd be fine with recasting that character before we see him again. I thought the CGI for Pip looked like shit. I thought it looked terrible. I was just gonna say it was. It looked like it came from a different, like an animated film of a like completely. De- it just looked crazy bad. It looked like Seth Green as a leprechaun. <laughs> Seth Green would have been better. I would. Yeah, I thought that. I thought this. I don't know. I I did have. I didn't have huge gripes with the voice of Patton Oswalt, but I didn't think it was great either because it was just clearly his voice and it kind of took you out of it. Yeah, that's uh, where I was with it. Yeah. I mean, if uh, he's going to do it, like give it something new or, or find someone else to do it. Like get a Bill Hader to do it. Have Danny DeVito recreate his Hercules role or something. Like <laughs> do something. Like, I don't know. It just felt so safe. He's already been in Marvel stuff. He did MODOK and he was in yeah, Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. So. If it wasn't MODOK just like a year ago, I think it would have been a little bit more easy to swallow. It wasn't even a year ago. It was just like a few months ago. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. It feels like these years have been dragging on the last two. (laughs) But yeah, that's just like just a minor nitpick I had. I I would have preferred better voice casting for that character. What did you guys think about uh, Harry Styles as... Eros. I I really have no connection to Harry Styles at all. I I didn't not until this week did I find out that he was in this group called One Direction. I've heard of One Direction. I I just I don't follow this shit. I'm a 40 year old man. I don't I don't care about. Did you like him in Dunkirk? I don't remember him in Dunkirk. I love Dunkirk. He's the guy that looks exactly like all the other guys in Dunkirk. <laughs> you know when he came on when he came on screen, uh, no exaggeration, screaming in my theater. My actual, like, and I that I'm glad Brian earlier you said what he said because I mean, you couldn't hear a goddamn thing. Like there were screams for probably the next thirty seconds. Uh, I think it's fun casting. Like it's almost like they cast the actor for the character. Like the character is a charmer and everyone is like just kind of smitten by him. And it feels like they definitely like, okay, that's why we're going to get Harry Styles to be this character. No, they get, he has that effect on so many people. This is why they got Harry Styles. Um, let's see here. Yeah, it was, uh, during the virtual, this comes from Cinema Blend. And uh, it was during a virtual press day for Eternals. They asked Chloe Zhao about the arrival of Star Fox in the end credits. And she noted that she was the one who pitched the idea, including the casting of Harry Styles to Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige. She also confirmed that he is an Eternal, just like Cersei, Thena, Kingo, and the rest of them. Though he obviously has a whole different origin story that can be explored in a future project. 
She said, I love the idea of getting to know Thanos' brother and Eternal, by the way, our version of it, he's an Eternal, and the idea of having him gone through what the Eternals have gone through, doing their works for the Celestials is very interesting, and how that might affect, that might have affected Thanos to become who he is today. I love that idea. So this might retcon some of the stuff we saw from Thanos. So it was, yeah, it was Chloe Zhao's idea to, to cast him. Yeah, I read her talking about that as well, too. She said it was a deal breaker for her to get Harry Styles in the project. Like it was it was either him or nobody. And I I was really surprised by that. But I do think we're both kind of saying the same thing. I I think the idea of him being this character is definitely related to what this character's powers are and just his power of charm. Chloe, I think, definitely was probably on that page. He's never charmed. He never charmed me because I didn't know who he was until this week. (laughs) Here's what I'm struggling with: How do Eternals have siblings if they were all created by the Celestials? Oh, I I mean, that's a question that's going to be answered. I think you don't just drop a bomb like I'm Thanos' brother and I'm an Eternal without following up and like telling us how that works. I, I think those are the questions you're supposed to be asking, Greg. Okay, moment of silence there. <laughs> All right, I guess we're ready to jump into the actual the the end credit scene. Yes, unless you guys had any more questions about. Uh, no, we didn't talk about this, but anytime I see bad things happening underwater, I have to wonder if Namor is involved. Oh yeah, I, I don't know if I'm the only person that that clicked with. No, no, I thought about that too. Like when the, um, when the oceans were moving in that scene with the emergence yeah. happening, I kept thinking to myself, is like, is this going to be the event that'll finally like get Namor involved? Because like it was, who was it? Was it Daniel, Daniel RPK on Twitter this past week tweeted that in fact it is going to be Namor the villain in Black Panther Wakanda forever. And then, um, that, Shuri will temporarily take on the mantle of the Black Panther, but she's not going to be the final Black Panther or something. So, it, it, this is not the underwater earthquake that is mentioned by Denise no. In um, okay, that's a and different yeah. event. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just makes me wonder: is like just another thing happening in the ocean? Is that going to be like you know? Just the more this stuff happens, is this all going to be connecting somehow to you know Atlantis and Namor and all that stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, and that's a really good point, right? Because to see its fingers and hand kind of come out, that means that, like, it disrupted something under the, under, underneath, <laughs> right? So, like, say he's hanging out with his friends in Atlantis and then, you know, destroyed because the Celestial was trying to come out, um, you know, that, that would, that could be a really cool, like, tie back to the Eternals movie. Um, cause I'm also thinking about that, like, how are we gonna, because we talk a lot about the, the end credits, but it's also like, how are the how are the Eternals really going to like play into the future, and like how are we going to connect back to them? I was actually uh, thinking that uh, Namor and Velocity of Atlantis was going to somehow tie into the Amazon and the Aztecs because there's been some speculation that they're going to be making um, oh, okay. Namor part of the I guess like the lost the Aztecs or, or relating to um, the Aztecs and and conquistadors and all that stuff. So. When that was brought up in the Eternals, I was wondering if there was going to be some connection to that. 
Uh, let's jump into the end credit scene. Um, we've got uh, Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman, and he's looking at the the chest from Jumanji. Is what I thought. Of. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to start hearing like drums and shit. And <laughs> not the chest from Jumanji. Um, but it's it's an old chest that he inherited from his ancestors that contains the legendary ebony blade um and uh anyway let's i'll break down the scene he's he sees the box and he, and and he's nervous to open it he keeps telling himself pumping himself up that he can do this he unlatches the case and finds uh the uh ebony blade sword inside and a latin inscription that translates as death is my reward um the sword is uh it looks like it's almost like alive it's got like this organic kind of like movement to it and um Just as he's about to grab the weapon, we hear uh, a voice uh, off camera say, uh, you sure you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? And then it cuts to black and we get the studio title cards. Um, so let's talk about this scene in a little bit more depth. Um, and let's. in order to do that, we actually have to go back to some of the scenes that we've seen previously in the movie. In the movie, there is, uh, there's talk from Thena and Sprite, and they actually talk about Ebony Blade, and they, and, um, th- um, there's a scene where, um, I, th- I think it's, yeah, there's a scene, uh, he has a, him and his uncle have a, have a bad relationship that is mentioned that he needs to forgive him, and then he talks about his complicated family history. So, We'll break down all those individually. In the comics, uh, Dane Whitman inherited his uncle's castle, Nathan Garrett, and um, he didn't know that his uncle had been a villainous black knight until finding notes and inventions in the castle. And then he uh, came across the Ebony Blade and passing uh, the tests here that uh, Sir uh, he passed tests and Sir Percival explained the history of the blade and its curse. Um, he took the weapon and decided to be a hero, and he joins the Masters of Evil just as his uncle did. But his intent is to infiltrate them from within, and then he did it to help the Avengers. They did not trust him until later. He assisted them in um, uh, battling King the Conqueror. So anyway, in this movie, at Dane's birthday party, Cersei tells him that. He should forgive his uncle, who in the comics, like I said, was a villain, the the Black Knight, the original Black Knight, and um, fought the Avengers. Dane eventually takes on the same mantle of Black Knight, but as a hero. So he opens the box, and it's got the same emblem on it that uh, his ring that was given to him by Cersei had with the raven. Um the lid, once he opens it, he sees the English, uh, in English, translated to English and from Latin, death is my reward. And it also has carvings of knights on it because Dane had an ancestor, uh, Sir Percival, who was one of the king, one of King Arthur's knights of the round table. So 
in the MCU, this movie reveals that the stories of King Arthur and Excalibur are real. There's there's a moment in the movie where Thena tells Sprite uh, at one point that you know she's holding Excalibur, and um, Sprite says that Arthur always had a crush on you. So they they basically are saying in in the MCU, King Arthur and Excalibur, and you know probably you know Lady of the Lake and all this stuff. It's true, and. As he's opening the box, we hear like these evil whispering sounds. And then we get a look at the sword. It's a black sword and there's like this moving organic, almost like venom symbiote substance on it. And the writing, uh, death is my reward, which was carved by, you know, one of his ancestors because in the comics, the sword Ebony Blade is actually cursed. And in the comics, it was created and carved by Merlin from a meteorite that hit the earth. So he made the sword um, for Sir Percival, who was, you know, actually Sir Percival was the original Black Knight. And he was instructed that the sword could only be used by someone who was pure of heart. And that wasn't true. It was the exact opposite. It could only really be wielded um, by someone impure of heart. So it's like the opposite of like Mjolnir, you know, the opposite of worthiness. So someone evil, which is... Why some people are thinking that we might see this sword being used by Gore the God Butcher in Thor Love and Thunder. Um, Christian Bale's playing Gore the God Butcher in Thor Love and Thunder. And we might see Gore the God Butcher use this sword in some flashback scenes. But I'm not 100% sold on that. I don't know if that'll happen or not. Um, even though it did kind of move and look a little bit like uh, you know the sword that Gore the God Butcher used in Thor Love and Thunder. Which I can't remember the name of the sword. Anyway, um, the sword actually, the curse, let's talk about the curse. It actually seeks the evil inside the person using it. And then it takes it like to the next level uh, of feeding off of that hate that it finds. And it gives you this unnaturally long life, but with a price. So when we see death is my reward, it probably means that the user that had this before lived so long with this curse that they eventually prayed for their own death. Um, and then the Gore sword was all black. The necro sword, necro sword, necro sword. Thank you. I read that carved, I, carved the first dawn from the stone of endless night is what Galactus said about it. Okay. Yeah. And that, that sword, I, I think you find out in that comic series, and forgive me because I haven't read the comics uh, since it came out in like 2012. You know, it ran for a bunch of issues, but it's been a long time since I read them. I think somewhere in that comic run, like they create the Venom symbiote, and I think that might be the Venom symbiote on the sword. Yeah, yeah, it was. They reveal that. Go ahead, Jake. It was forged by Null, who was one of the first symbiotes, and it was. By using the head of a killed celestial. Yeah, so the nowhere that we, nowhere, the celestial, the head that we see in outer space in the MCU could have been, uh, that celestial could have died because of Null cutting its head off with that sword. That's awesome. I hope they make that connection. So the voice that we hear off screen is Mahershal Ali as Blade. Yeah. So in the comic, oh, I, that was my guess. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. Sure is. Uh, <laughs> well, it was confirmed. It was confirmed by uh, Chloe Zhao um, that it was Mahershala Ali. Uh, she she was quoted as saying, 
That was the voice of one of my favorite superheroes, Mr. Blade himself. And then Kit Harrington also confirmed that this is the first introduction to Blade in the MCU. In the comics, the sword has connections to Dracula and vampires. And Blade and Dane actually, in the comics, team up in a group called M13 where they fight, you know, supernatural creatures, you know, vampires and things like that. Maybe when he says, are you ready for that, Mr. Whitman? Is he talking about, like, are you ready for this curse because it's going to find the evil within you? Like, this could affect everything in his life. And it could definitely affect, like, his relationship with Cersei. It could change him. Um, do you think that Blade wants the sword, wants to take the sword and use the sword? Or do you – I mean – also in the comics, I believe that there was, uh, you know, one of the swords, it wasn't actually the ebony blade. It was a, it was a, it was a fake ebony blade that was actually created by, um, the vampires. And so this might actually not even be the real ebony blade. This could be, this could be a fake ebony blade. Maybe Blade himself wants to use the sword. I don't know, but, um, it's interesting that the, that it was moving. It did look very much like a symbiote. Um, mm-hmm. Very interesting. I don't know. There's a there's a lot going on here, but we could definitely could see Dane Whitman as the Black Knight in the next Blade movie. He could show up, if not in the entire movie, he could show up in the post credit scene. Yeah, it feels like that's probably going to happen, right? I, I feel like it might be a, a supporting role in the Blade movie. I, Marvel mm-hmm. likes to do team ups in these solo movies like that. Um, well, I was yeah. thinking like we're getting a, a Moon Knight series. On Disney Plus, I was thinking like maybe it could be a Blade movie and they could tease the next Disney Plus series, which would be an M13 kind of like Dane and Blade team up in a series and go around killing fucking vampires and shit. I don't know. Yeah. Didn't they confirm this week that Blade would make his first appearance in uh, the Moon Knight series? It's definitely been heavily rumored this week. Uh, you'd have to look up those stories because I'm not familiar. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Marvel's Moon Knight reportedly includes an appearance by Blade, CBR.com. So it's all from... Hey, just uh, a quick thing. Oh, so go ahead. No, sorry. If That MI-13 series is awesome. Um, it, there is a character that wields Excalibur on that team. And um, remember, we got Brian Braddock name-checked in Endgame, and he's on that team as well. Hmm. So it's it's possible. Yeah. It's all from a Reddit leaker, so it's hard to say if it's true or not. The leaker also says that Dracula will be the big bad of Moon Knight. Ethan Hawke will actually be playing Dracula. Blade appearing could mean that Hawke's role will expand beyond the Disney Plus series into the Blade movie. I, I don't know about all that, but mm. yeah, it's all just Reddit stuff. None of it's confirmed. Yeah, but a lot of stuff. A lot of times, the stuff on Reddit turns out to be true. No, yeah, and I agree, and that makes a lot of sense. Like Moon Knight fighting Dracula is very famous. It's like the thing of meme legends. So I can see them going in that direction. And once you involve Dracula, it's hard to imagine you're not going to show Blade there. Right. Oh God, yeah. Like Blade has to show up. I mean, I mean, they could even include Moon Knight in that team if we have like this whole team up thing. Yeah, yeah, you're going to disappoint people if you have Dracula and you're not. Everyone knows Blades are on the corner, especially now. So Yeah. Yeah. 
it's really cool. You think this is one of those scenes that we're going to revisit? Like, I'm I'm right there with you, Brian. I'm very curious as to what Blade's motives are, why he's even drawn to this scene in the first place. Like, where was Blade before this? Why is Blade here? Like, do they have a? Does he have a previous relation, relationship with Dane Whitman? Like, is he drawn by the sword? Like, uh, what is going on here? It's definitely. I mean, it, it's definitely. <laughs> It definitely has something to do with the connection of the sword. Um, it, it, it did it feel? It felt like you know, with like with with the the the, the team up in the comics, the M thirteen. It kept, it made me feel like the, is this like a Nick Fury moment here? You know? Yeah, you know, honestly, I had no idea who it was. Like Nick Fury was one of the people I was guessing it possibly could be before you know finally getting the confirmation. So it did feel that way. Like he's like, you know, the Midnight Suns is one of the famous like comic series with all these dark characters. It's like the the gathering of the Midnight Suns kind of going on here with Blade. Nice little pause yeah, there. I got that. I got that same vibe. I, I definitely got that same vibe. I was like, hmm, feels very Nick Fury like. A lot of people were thinking that it was the voice of. Um, of the Watcher the, of the Watcher, yeah, Jeffrey Wright is the Watcher. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that theory a lot too. His voice is so recognizable, though. I don't think you'd be. It'd be like if it was James Earl Jones. Like you would just know it was him. In, in my theater, somebody goes, "Doctor Strange." <laughs> I love the clap, affirmation yeah. clap. <laughs> <laughs> and you're wrong, buddy. Jeez, right. Louise. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I honestly like I don't know. I feel like when we when we see Dane Whitman in this movie, it's it's really just a lot of a lot of setup. Is I mean, if if um, a lot of different things that could happen here, um, I don't know. I guess you know if if it is part of this you know symbiote sword that was created by Null, like is Dane Whitman going to be the one that shows up and like? you know, the next time and cuts the head off of Ersham, the judge at the last moment, you know, kind of like I, 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 Thor showing up a Stormbreaker. I don't, I don't know if that's what, I, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. I think that um, we're definitely going to see, you know, Dane Whitman. He's definitely going to have a conversation with Cersei about, you know, his family and all this stuff. That's all going to happen. I think it definitely, it could really affect the relationship if, if he's using the ebony blade and it's, it's bringing out the bad in him. So. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun to revisit once like that character, you know, grabs the ebony blade and kind of goes a little bit dark. Like, yeah, that's definitely going to be a relationship effector. Um, I saw an interview with Kit Harrington this week where he was talking about how he is 10 times more scared of spoiling Marvel things than he ever was with Game of Thrones and that the, the level of secrecy that's around the whole thing and what he is and isn't allowed to say is a completely new experience for him and it actually is giving him kind of anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember when he was in, like after Game of Thrones like ended and he had had some like issues dealing with you know, what was going on with his fame coming from Game of Thrones. So to be honest with you, this, like, taking on another project that's likely to last quite some time and has its own fandom associated with it around spoilers and all that stuff, I was just kind of, it's kind of interesting that, that this is a, another a role that he's taking because it's, I feel like it's almost like a mirror in some ways of what happened with his role in Game of Thrones that caused him so much turmoil. I agree. He's, like, putting himself through the ringer again. Yeah. <laughs> but this time it'll be different. 
<laughs> this time, <laughs> this time it'll be just pure fame. It'll be great. And I won't have any. Well, when just he's done pure with love. this, he can, he can be in a Star Wars movie next just to really fuck with himself. <laughs> oh, God. And he'll be in Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> At least in Star Wars, there's no secrets because no one has any idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> Not even the director. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spoilers do you have spoilers what do you think the director doesn't even know um yeah that's uh maybe talk to chris evans though maybe because i know chris evans originally had had a lot of issues with that and then kind of came around to to the character later on and really embraced his role so maybe he like he talked to i mean who knows? at the end of the day the, the, the they all just talk to each other <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think his issue exactly. is now now dealing with a million interviews where the question is always going to be, so when are we going to see Black Knight next? You know, yeah. that's that's what's causing him his issues, I think. So <laughs> you kind of feel for him. You've seen how other cast members in the past have struggled to, to deal with keeping these kind of secrets and, you know, the after effects of that. So well, let's see if Marvel casts his uh, uncle, Nathan Garrett, as uh Sean Bean. Let's see if that happens. <laughs> oh, gosh. Please, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we know he's going to die. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it, I was not expecting to hear Blade's voice at the end of this movie. And, no. yeah, I mean, you know, the movie does kind of confirm. Does it confirm vampires? Because, I mean, we're getting vampires. We're definitely – like, Korg mentions vampires in Ragnarok. And then in this movie, Kingo mentions that his valet was it Karun? Is that his name? Yeah. Like, like tried oh, to yeah, yeah the... thought he was a vampire and tried to tried to kill him on multiple occasions. So I don't know. There was vampire yeah, there was vampires mentioned in uh, Loki as well, and also WandaVision. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 So there's definitely vampires. <laughs> In the world, we're going to be seeing vampires because we're getting definitely we're getting a Blade movie. Yeah, I don't know. I just did not expect Blade to be you know doing a voice cameo at the end of the of this trailer. What did you guys think of overall of these you know post credit scenes? Um, Stephanie, what did you think about these post credit scenes? Did they do anything for you? Did they excite you, or were you left confused? Oh, you said you totally got it. I got them. I didn't get the okay. So let me give a caveat. I got Mahershala Ali's voice. I didn't know all of the backstory with Kit Harrington's character, if I'm being 100% honest. But I heard the voice and I left in a yeah. bit of happiness. Okay. Um, I thought they, I thought these, the both of them in the post-credit scene did a great job at, like, providing you just enough meat on the bone to want to know what's happening. To, like, the, the one, the, the mid credit scene gave you enough to ask. There's the, it almost created more questions to make you more curious about what's coming. I think that's what a good post credit scene does. It doesn't just give you a little bit of a tease or show you a familiar face or whatever. It leaves you with more questions, letting you know something else more interesting is coming. And I think both of those did a really good job at that, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, what I think you- personally, okay. uh, I, I, I think the very last scene of the movie should have just been a post credit scene. I think that would have been a really, a really good one to have. Oh, so they should have just had that kind of blend into like the last scene of the movie. Basically, the way it leaves, you know, it ends. It doesn't. It feels like an epilogue a bit, you know. And the way the movie ends is a little jarring. 
So, um, you know, I felt that that scene where they're whisked into the space to talk to Erisham could have been left as a post credit scene. And why is he now like, how long has he had this sword? Why is he now doing it? Is it, is it so he can, uh, try, is his main goal to find Cersei? You would think that's why he's doing this, right? Yeah, it was, it's either that or he's just still doing more family research, right? Like it, it was hard to tell which was happening. Yeah, I just don't know if I'd be like so into like doing more family research right after my, you know, love of my life got whisked away by well, Ersham the judge. Like- he sees oh, yeah. this like ten thousand foot red fucking thing. What's he gonna do? Stab it? Like, what's he gonna use that sword for? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's a little hard to believe. Like, <laughs> at any rate, good enough. So he's just like, ah, fuck, fuck my girlfriend. All right, let's be, let's let's check out this sword I got. It's time for <laughs> vampire adventures with Blade. Let's go, bud. Yeah, girlfriend's gone. I'm gonna go on some adventures with Blade. <laughs> Boy, boys Love night that. out. Call, call up Moon Knight. <laughs> Girls suck anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, let's talk about this. I want to ask you guys this. Uh, last time I checked Rotten Tomatoes, let me go there now. It was at 48% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, and it had an 80 some percent from the fans don't play a trailer get out of here <laughs> why are we doing that i just want to go to the eternals movie give me that all right yeah 84 percent for the fans uh 48 percent for the critics so yeah, this is a rotten score first rotten mcu movie uh do you think they're going to be looking at this when uh do you think we are going to be getting it in eternals 2 um and it's not performing that great in the theater as far as like the box office is concerned, I think it's not hitting the numbers that they were hoping to get. I'll do the same as Shang Chi, right? Is it? I think so. Yeah. I thought I had a an article about. Oh, I must not have it. Um, but uh, do you think uh, do you think the forty eight percent is going to affect a sequel? Do you think that uh, this? Do you think that the 48% is going to affect the director coming back for the sequel if they do go ahead with the sequel? Do you think she'll want to come back for a sequel? It's interesting because I feel that at the end of the day, they're just going to look at how it does at the box office and how the general fans pick up on this movie and how they review it. Because um, they thought this movie was going to be like the critical darling. That's why they entered it into the film festivals and all that. Um, they really thought that this was going to be the film that – you know, that Martin Scorsese considers cinema and all that. And, and that certainly didn't happen, had the opposite effect. And it's, you know, here we have a film that's, that's, uh, critiqued worse than Thor the Dark World. Um, so I think at the end of the day, they're just going to look and see how do people resonate with these characters and, and do we want to see them? Yeah, uh, Shang-Chi earned 94 million domestically over its opening weekend, and it looks like, uh, Eternals may have trouble reaching 70 million in its domestic box office debut, and, and it earned a B cinema score from, uh, from moviegoers. So that's, it's, uh, not, not, not a great score. Um, the previous lowest was Thor with a B plus. Um, the rest have all earned a variation of an A cinema score. Was that Thor? Thor one? No, that yeah, that was Thor one. 
That's interesting that that was one of the lowest ones. Yeah, the previous lowest was the first Thor, B+. The rest have earned a variation of an A cinema score, and I'm reading that from uh, The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. I feel that um, the um, the score themselves, like, I mean, they're all going to be a factor, but I, th- I feel at the end of the day, the audience score is what's really going to speak to Marvel as far as what they do next and, and how this performs. Um as far as just the fact that they took a chance and went a different direction, I really, I'm really glad that they did that because I just don't, you know, even if they take a chance and they end up, you know, eating shit, I just want Marvel to continue to try to do something a little different than the follow the standard superhero genre movie. I well, I mean, right? like you want them to try to evolve and like expand and try new things versus like trying to do the same thing forever. Like, well, eventually that gets a little can get a little stale, so. I guess. I mean, I think there's a better, uh, I, there, I mean, we, n- Tristan, you're the only one that gave it a Tupperware. I think the, re- you know, the rest of us high taste it and taste it. I think there's a better Eternals movie here. I mean, if you look at the, and I'm looking at the audience score for Shang-Chi, it's at 98% with over 10,000 verified ratings. And this is yeah. at 84%. And then, but I think Shang Chi was also just more of a. It, it's a bit more of a Marvel movie, you know. And audiences do love Marvel movies. This is definitely not a standard Marvel movie. Yeah, I, I think and that's where they're kind of struggling. I think that's kind of like what didn't work for me. I, it's not like I don't want something different. I do want something different. But this was a little too. We got we had a sex scene in this for crying out loud. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I hate saying it too, but like. You know, think of how, like, other Marvel properties, you know, you have that kid audience. I mean, our, and forget the sex scene, but are, are kids going to be wearing, like, Icarus t-shirt? Are kids going to be dressing up as, like, Kingo for Halloween? I just don't know. I, I found these characters to be very interesting. Uh, you know, highly imperfect movie. I just don't know if these heroes are going to generate the same kind of excitement from mass audiences as a raccoon in a tree and a guy with rocket boots it just i i just don't know if they're as inherently fun even though the characters are probably more interesting i really see marvel just plucking what people like from this movie and placing them throughout the mcu Mm -hmm. i I agree with that i agree with that a lot i know i've heard just a standard sequel yeah, I've heard some comments that, well, we don't necessarily have to do a, a trilogy with Eternals. That's never our plan. And they could have been looking at the tracking when they were saying that. <laughs> I mean, the, the other thing that I think is possible, I don't think the original Ant-Man did all that well. I mean, Marvel sometimes does play the long game. So, uh, you know, I, I'd be curious if, if they feel like there's a bigger story to tell and it does well enough, I could see them doing more movies. I did, Chloe Zhao doesn't strike me as the kind of talent that would want to do a trilogy for Marvel, though. You know, I think she's the kind of director you get you get for the one movie and you're thankful you got her. Unfortunately, it didn't work out as well as you probably hoped, but you're thankful you got her for the one movie and then somebody else is going to help to do a sequel if you're going to do a sequel. I didn't think Ryan Coogler would come back and do another Black Panther movie either. But That's I mean, good we, point. Here's the, but here's the thing. It's like, I guess it all comes down because like. You know, yeah, she's done, she did Nomadland. We don't know, like, she might be, here's the thing, Greg, she might be super attached to these characters to the point where she's like, no, you're gonna have to drag me away from this franchise. Because yeah. I loved working with these, I loved, I loved, you know, bringing these characters to life on the screen, I loved this, I would, yeah, I'd absolutely come back. She might have loved her time there. 
doing this or she might just be like oh my god that was so much i'm out let's go back and do some more independent stuff we're gonna have to wait and hear from you know that that'll come later on down the road time will tell she's either being super polite or yeah that's the case she really loves these characters in this universe because she's been nothing but like gushing about it in all the interviews this week what what what, and and she leveraged that power right i mean she had a lot of creative control over this project it seemed and they they, and they gave that to her so it it would make sense to be more invested in that way if you also then were able to be the person to help curate the whole thing versus i just came in and used my my vision but ultimately like it was still a marvel machine so so i could also see her wanting to maybe continue it because she feels like it's very much her vision or her sure yeah her characters yeah here's the thing what what you guys said that's like that that kind of sticks out to me about this and and you guys are you guys said like you know oh they they can pull what they what people liked out of this movie and implant it into other stuff you know the things that people liked and and then adapt from there that that really hasn't been like a huge problem before when you're looking at some of these Marvel movies, like they didn't have to adapt that way, really, um, except for maybe Thor. Like at the end of the day, it's like, oh, let's that right there is kind of like troublesome, kind of a problem when you have to do that after a movie. If that, that's your approach to it going forward, it should have been like, you know, if it's a Marvel movie, I'm thinking like you watch this movie and it's like. I'm so used to watching a Marvel movie and just falling in love with everything and being like, I can't wait for more of all of that. And with this one, I mean, Greg, you make a great point. I can't see kids dressing up as like these characters for like Halloween or like, you know, there might be, there's going to be some cosplayers and stuff like that, but like, they're not going to have like the impact of like a Black Panther, a Shang-Chi or an Iron Man or a Captain America. No there's I no mean, way. The Marvel Legends, the Marvel Legends figures for Eternals are already starting to show up for $9 in store. It's not a good sign. Yeah. $9 is on sale. Yeah. Oh my God. You're starting to see them. Yeah. So it's like, again, it just. It doesn't appear to have the kind of mass market appeal. And if you think of like even the trailers, I, my kids wanted to see it because it was a Marvel movie. But I still remember um, walking out of the theater. I said, like, guys, did you like the movie? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, who is your favorite character? And my, my son goes, I can't even I don't even know what their names are. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that makes sense. Yeah. It's easy to remember. Like, how do you know? Like, who's a Blue Ranger? Yeah, just, <laughs> and that's the source material. Again, that's not that's just what they had to work with. This is a weird year for Marvel movies. Like you know, I, I you know, as far as like the movies that have come out so far, actually, as as far as all the Marvel content that's come out so far, I think this is my this is my least favorite. Um, I mean, if you, if I'm putting it up against the Loki series and WandaVision and you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Shang-Chi, Black Widow. This is my least favorite. I, I think this is kind of a, you know, yeah, it's different. It's not the Marvel movie that we're used to. Yeah, they, they really took a big swing here, but I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't confidently say that Eternals was a success. We need more of this. I can't confidently Brian, say that. If this is a fuck, Mary kill, you are, you're killing. <laughs> Eternals, it's like sorry. Yeah, if it's a fuck Mary kill, I just killed Eternals. I have to pick. You're not, you know, I could do without it. 
if it wasn't here, I would be okay. You can't. I, I don't. I, I don't know how anyone could say that. Like this, if you're looking at all the factors of this movie, box office, critical reception, even comparing the audience score of Shang-Chi, which is a 98% and this at an 84%, I can't, I can't, and just, and all, and this has got the lowest cinema score out of all the movies. I can't just say that this is a hundred percent a success of a movie. I think it's got it's got its problems and 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 the problems are glaring to audiences and I don't know I mean and even you guys are basically saying they'll take what worked in this movie and course correct like that's not a great sign of a movie. Oh, I forgot, I forgot to mention. Hold on, hold on, one at a time, guys. Go ahead, Tristan. Oh, okay. Um, I forgot to mention when I got out of my theater, Marvel had representatives outside of the theater giving. Um, polls and they had um, these uh, these forms for us to fill out and basically they had us rank how we liked each character in the film on a scale of one to ten. Oh wow! What were you hide it? Are they? What were you, what were your scores? I'm just curious. Um, I gave the highest score to to, to um, Kingo and also to Druig. Could you give the lowest score to to Sprite? That's cool. Did they have crow? Like, did they have? It was just the Eternals. Well, they had questions like, "What's okay if you didn't like the movie? What didn't you like about it?" And have things like the deviants look cheesy, or like they kept bouncing through time and it was confusing. Like they had actual things that people that critics were saying as the thing as options for you to choose Hmm. because they. So that tells me that Marvel and I've never seen that happen before. It tells me that Marvel is really trying to figure out what people didn't like and liked about this film. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I went to that, you know, two-week early screening of Shang-Chi, and there was nothing like that afterwards. Yeah. And it was (laughs) – and I tell you, the the environment in that Shang-Chi movie is completely different than my audience interaction in Eternals. So I don't know. I mean – I, I like the movie, but I did not. I didn't. I didn't absolutely love it either. And I well, think, and like thinking about it, right? Like Sean Chi at the end, you're like, like yeah, like that was awesome. Like you went through all of the emotions together as an audience, and you were like, uh, you felt all those things, but it felt like accomplishment. And with this one, it was like, oh, well, man, I'm glad that Celestial really didn't come out. <laughs> it was you know, not a feel. It was not a feel good ending. You, you weren't like. Yes, they overcame everything. They came together and they did something. You know, like totally. I think they the didn't kill the earth. I think the I think <laughs> the ending of this movie should have been um, Dane having sex with Cersei now. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> on, the same, on the same spot on the beach. Yes. <laughs> Except six thrust this time, one extra thrust. <laughs> He's like, Dane's like, I'm gonna make you. Are you still thinking of him, huh? I'm gonna make you think of me. I'm gonna make you think of me. <laughs> I have a question: Does anyone actually think this movie is as bad as Thor: The Dark World? Like that? that no, it's like, better. No, this, this no. is way better yeah. than Age of Ultron to me, personally. Yeah. Like Age of Ultron just sucks. I, I have to be. I'm. I'm a little bit of an oddball. I did not like Black Widow. I. I tasted Black Widow on the first viewing. On the second viewing, it's low tasted. I do not like Black Widow. Phase four to me has been very hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. that's just well, me, you know. 
I mean, it Black also Widow feels to like me, we're. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that Black Widow to me, like I liked it first viewing in it, and I liked it less the second time I saw it, and. I don't know. Like for me, Eternals was getting better on repeat viewing, maybe because there's just so much there and I'm catching stuff that I just wasn't seeing before. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that any of the characters were as endearing or as fun as Red Guardian and Yelena. Mm, that's fair. Oh, they're good. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I mean, that's and, and, and even even Age of Ultron has that going for it. Like I'm spending time with characters that I love. But Age of Ultron's just a worse movie, in my opinion. So many, you know, there's a lot of dumb things happening in Age of Ultron, you know, and that, that's, that's just my opinion. I know there's you know, people that love that movie. I, 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 I tossed it, but yeah, I think this is better than the first Ant-Man. I agree with that as well. I like it better mm-hmm. than both Ant-Mans. It's more interesting yeah. than Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it also just feels like we're we're like okay, we saw Eternals, and we're already like moving on, right? Like our thoughts are very much still into Spider Man and Doctor Strange, like so it it almost seems like a blip, but it's gonna be so quickly lost that it's like what was even the point? Like yeah, like we're when I- you know like it it didn't feel like it was like mm. this is massive. How does this play into that? It almost feels like now we know, awesome. And then we'll see them later, but it almost like won't uh, like like I'm hoping you know the long we have faith in the Feige, we have faith in the long game that pieces of this are going to make sense later. But yeah, it feels very like yeah. And then we're going to be all in Doctor Strange and, and Spider Man Land for like you know however long. I agree. I think like we've all kind of like now we're all just kind of like okay, when's that next Spider Man No Way Home trailer coming out? <laughs> so. yeah. Right, yeah. right. Bring on, like, bring on the multiverse. <laughs> I find it very reassuring that Marvel was there and polling people at the end of that advanced screening for you, Tristan. <laughs> like it's like they know that there's yeah, something. No, no, no. Let, let me be clear. Not only I went to an advanced screening. This polling was at the regular showing. Oh wow! At the, yeah, they came to the regular showings to poll people as well. Wow, wow. So they're. Re- I bet they're doing this in like a, a lot of different markets too, and they're gonna yeah. they're gonna see what people like. I hope people were super honest and brutal when they had to be because. I think it's a, I think it's telling even on this podcast where we're saying like, oh, in the next movie they're going to take what li- that they liked and and then course correct. Because I don't. I wish think- I took a screenshot of that poll of of the yeah. questions on there. It was really yeah, I wish you would have too. Oh my god! Oh yeah, if my Shang Chi, my Shang Chi screening, they wouldn't let us even take our phones. We had to take our phones out to our car. Um, wow. before we could go into the movie, nobody could have a phone on them. And, th- and they said they had night vision on us. And if they saw anybody on their phone, they'd be kicked out <laughs> and they could actually call the police cause it's against the law to be filming it. And, um, yeah, it was insane, but no, I find it actually reassuring that they're asking these questions because I do feel like this movie has its issues and there's some course correction that needs to be taken. Um, for like, I think there's going to be a big meeting at Marvel next week. <laughs> there's gotta be. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if they think they made a mistake by by having so many cliffhangers in this movie at this point. It's like it, it's hard to ignore. Like they they're gonna have to in some way continue the story in one way or another. Like they, I don't think Kevin Feige would leave all these dangling threads forever. And so I, I think they're really gonna have to figure out how to course correct here. I mean, do we hear that Chloe Zhao has now not going to return to the Eternals, and we're gonna hear that? You know, it's because she's, you know, um, 
scheduling conflicts when in all actuality it was like Marvel's basically, you know, saying, no, we want to go with a new director, uh, a new, you know, direction with the Eternals. And, and I feel like, I feel like, I feel like if that happens, which I think there's a big chance that that could happen, because I don't think they're going to come right out and say, oh, there's creative differences, or we just didn't like how the movie was received, and Chloe Zhao is not going to be returning. It's going to be something like scheduling conflicts or something like that, and just to, you know, because they don't want to... They don't want to open up that can of worms. But I think that if we do get a different director on the second movie, it is going to feel so fucking different. And I'm talking about like Thor the Dark World to Thor Ragnarok, Ragnarok. different. Yeah, it's I, gonna... I agree with that 100%. And I, I think you're, you're right in the money. It's going to be a very polite parting of ways. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Unless, like you said before, you know, she's just so attached to these characters that it doesn't matter if they want to get way. if they if they want to get rid of her. That doesn't matter at this point. Yeah. It'll come down to them saying, oh, scheduling conflict. And then and, and then, you know, and then it could come out years later that she, be, you know, after, you know, Disney's not calling her back for any other future projects. But she comes out and says, no, they just let me go. You know, um, there's one other kind of development behind the scenes that's worth tracking in this whole thing. So there's been a lot of negative buzz since Bob Chapek took over as CEO of Disney. And the, I don't know if you saw this report in the last few weeks. There are a lot of creative people that feel like he is overly involved and they're very unhappy. I, I just think you get like, how does how does the failure of a movie like this uh, impact the relationship between like a Bob Chapek and a Kevin Feige in the direction of the Marvel Universe going forward? And does that start to sour? It's something to be concerned about because, Tristan, you made this point. I just hope this doesn't lead to more paint by numbers. I, I loved Shang-Chi and it felt, especially the third act, felt too familiar to me personally. I want to see them take more chances. Just this one, unfortunately, probably didn't work out as well as they hoped. Yeah, I really hope that they don't start fucking with Kevin Feige's autonomy. <laughs> I mean, just one, even if this is considered an L, I mean, that's one L out of what, 26? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know, man. There was a part of me that was, when I was watching this movie, for as interesting as it is and how different it is, I just, I guess I, w I was missing just like that Marvel formula. And so, <laughs> I know that sounds so, I sound so basic right now, but um, I guess I was just missing because there were times where I would like, especially during my first viewing where I was just like, this is moving so fast. We're going back and forth throughout time. There's so much going on. At the time when characters were joking and stuff, I wasn't laughing because I was like already being taken out of the movie. Um, I, I, I did enjoy it a lot more upon my second viewing because I was able to, I don't know, pick up on the story a little bit more. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. I'm just not used to, a, I'm not used to going into a Marvel movie with it not feeling like a Marvel movie at all times. And it just didn't feel as special going, 
I don't know. It just didn't feel like I was watching like a special Marvel movie when it should be special because they're doing a lot of new stuff in this one. Like, you know, we're getting our first like uh, gay couple on screen as far as like a major Marvel character. I'm not talking about like the Russo brothers showing up in that, you know, support group. And I'm talking about an actual superhero. Um, yeah. We're getting, you know, it's just there should be so much i i should have i i felt like i should have just been and ashley you kind of said this too like we should be walking out of this movie theater just like our minds fucking blown but instead we're just like okay we saw that all right when when spider-man no way home. that kango costume yeah yeah i'm gonna be kango for halloween yeah no i guess for sure right and i it, i was actually just looking up to like opening weekends um for for 2021 and and even being at the 6970 range still puts it in the top right like th- if this is a flop for feige i think he still has a lot of leverage right like this isn't this isn't like birds of prey or some of uh, those other openings that were really like stale new versions of characters right and so I, I do think it's a good point. He does have to kind of monitor that stuff, but I, I think he still has a lot of leverage. And I think... Yeah, but this is the, first uh, weekend. Like, what's, like right. what, what is second weekend going to look like? Is it going to be, like, uh, the biggest drop-off we've ever seen from a Marvel movie? Yeah, that is true. I don't think... It- I don't think it'll be the biggest. There's not too much competition next week. I mean, I don't... I, don't, I could see it doing better than Clifford still next week. And then Come maybe on. how does it do on... You know when it goes digital, like Marvel makes are, a lot of money on subsequent viewings, right. and I don't see people. I mean, we we did because probably we were recording the show. Do you really see Marvel fans going back for a second helping of Eternal? And hey I, kids, I, do you want to see you want to see Cersei get banged on the beach again? I'm, Yay! I, I, stand <laughs> I stand behind my high tasted rating. That being said, it is. Uh, it's a little bit of a grind. I, I, I'm not going back to a theater for two and a half hours to watch that again. No way. I'll watch it again on digital and I'll fast forward through the boring parts. I think I would have wanted to see it a second time, even without doing the podcast. I was excited to go see it again after the first showing. If I didn't do the podcast, I probably wouldn't have gone back for my second viewing. And so, um, but I'm glad I did because. I had to. I had to. I was just, I was tired and feeling sick. So I, a lot of the first viewing was, was me mentally, but uh, I'm glad I did go back and see it, but I don't think I'll go back and see it again. Now that we've rec- recorded this, yeah. I don't, well, and it, yeah, it I'm, does, I'm there it puts, too. It puts, there's so many pieces there and like, you know, Greg, Greg mentioned, like it's so complicated and so complex that like, for a casual Mar- Marvel viewer, they could probably go in, not know anything, see it, and understand what's happening and still have a good time. Whereas this, those subsequent viewings, it seems they get better because you are picking up on more of the pieces and putting it together. And so it does just require you to have more of an attentive mind and not for just an hour and a half, but for two and a half hours. Right. And so it is kind of it's, it's almost a more demanding movie of its audience. And mm. maybe that is also what's really kind of um I don't know, maybe maybe impacting that. And maybe even I think it's the fun factor. Honestly, I think it's the Mm -hmm. fun factor. Like when you when I go like I was actually looking for like Shang-Chi, you know, um if I wasn't sick this week, I would have been I would have been back in the theater watching Shang-Chi because it was like the last week it's playing in theaters here. 
the fun factor for Shang-Chi and even with like the Marvel Easter eggs of seeing like Abomination, all this stuff, it was so much fun. I do feel like this and Jake, I know that you're a fan of this movie, like not being beholden to like the Marvel Easter eggs and setting up all this stuff in the MCU. I think it could have helped it. Like it connected me a little bit more to these characters, what's going on and brought a little bit more of that Marvel fun factor. It was just like, I didn't, I left Shang-Chi just being like, Oh my God, I went on a fucking roller coaster ride. We went to fucking, um, you know, uh, (laughs) we went to another dimension and we got to see food dogs and we got to see all this martial arts and magic and bracelets and, Aquafina. Like, where do I find ten rings? Yeah, <laughs> like, Aquafina was funny, and yes. it was just such a. It was a fun factor. I don't feel like this movie at the yeah. end of the day had like the fun factor. It had moments. Don't get me wrong. Kingo was hilarious. I thought Gilgamesh was very Gilgamesh was very funny at certain parts. It just didn't have like that fun factor that I'm used to in the Marvel movies. It was it was not devoid of it, but. It, oh, I think the fun factor is missing here. And I, it's, yeah. it's funny too. Like it's exemplified. Like what what Tristan said. He filled that out. Who is your favorite character? Kingo. We talked about how he wasn't even really part of the action scenes. Why was he so great? The fun factor. Like mm-hmm. and so that's really interesting, right? You're like, mm-hmm. oh, some of the best characters weren't even like the coolest. Or the whatever. scene where he they does the, the parts. That had levity. The scene that he that does had, the like, the finger blast and he blows up the head yeah, of the, one of those yeah. deviants and like the the ooze is on his face. It was funny, you know. Like that's exactly. more of the stuff I wanted to see. And it, yeah, this movie he's felt more of like, a Marvel. He's more of a Marvel hero. Yeah, exactly. You could see him interacting with different pieces, different like the Guardians and all that stuff. Like it, it's almost like this movie, The Eternals, was literally like. The condensed, a long form version of the opening exposition where Marvel was like, we need to tell you all this stuff and put a movie out. We're sorry. It'll pay off later. <laughs> Here's two and a half hours of this movie. It, it is with Stephanie. I want to hear. I don't, I don't think they were aware of that. I, I, I don't think they thought it was a bad movie before they started showing it to people. No, I don't think so either, but it's just kind of like in hindsight now, it's like, oh man, I like, it feels like you had to explain all these celestial things. You had to set all these pieces so that later they will pay off in this way where we can just run with that story and not have to explain it there. Stephanie, we've been talking a lot. I want to hear what you have to say about some of the stuff that we've been talking about. I just, I, I think for me, it didn't feel, I didn't. I, I didn't leave like excited about the movie itself, but I left feeling like I watched what felt to me like a more mature Marvel movie. I didn't need for it to be for me. I didn't need for it to be fun. I just needed it for, I just needed for it to be effective and it was, effective. and it was effective. Okay. okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like the opposite. I, I left and I felt like I, I missed that Marvel fun factor. Like I, I, I don't think I needed a, now that I've gotten it, now that we've gotten it, now that we got a more mature Marvel movie, I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I tried it, I'm okay. Give me Deadpool. Yeah. Like in the next, like I never, never once did I ever want to see Tony Stark and Pepper Potts having sex and I, they never needed to show me pepper Potts and Tony Stark having sex in a movie to prove that they were in love with one another. I don't under, I know I keep harping on that scene, but why, why it was a tasteless scene. I'm sorry. I I know I sound like a prude. 
it was incredibly tasteless. It's it's it not. Just was in a Marvel movie. It is in a Marvel movie. It is kid next to me, and I got two characters going to Pound Town on a beach thirty minutes in the goddamn movie. Yes, it's, it's fucking horrible. <laughs> I gotta explain that shit. Like, it just it's not cool. It really it, it's it really not. Sucks. It's not. It's not cool in a Marvel movie, and it, we I, people can say we sound like prudes, but it's it's a Marvel movie. It These added are, nothing to the story at all. Yeah, it's totally useless. I want to see people do that cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's. It didn't add anything. I mean, it. it you expect that kind yeah, of a. Look how mature we are. See, they're doing it on a beach and they love each other. Well, and it's like, <laughs> it was no, totally why? Why? No one. It's like, I expect that in other movies, but not in a Marvel movie. And yeah, if we sound like prudes, too fucking bad. I mean, I'll, 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 I will never change my stance on that. I don't think no. there needs to be a sex scene like that in a Marvel movie. No, we didn't, we didn't need to see Cap and Peggy doing doggy style on the beaches of Normandy. We understood that there was a relationship there. Yeah. Honestly, it was just such a bad second scene, period. I don't want to ever see that scene in anything ever. No, None of that looked like, no, it just wasn't good. Tommy was so sexy and the room was better than what we saw here. Yeah, that's why I'm like, no, like this was just badly done in all fronts. Like, like I, like, if they did it in a tasteful way and whatever, like, I'm not even approved. It's like, if it made sense, you could put it in there or whatever. But did they have that on the fucking so Tristan? Did they have that question on the poll? Did you not like the sex scene? Oh, 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 they did ask. They said, are you a parent? And do you have kids under 11? And would you take them to see this movie? And what do you, what do you think about kids under 11 seeing this movie? They had questions like that. Oh, like and and Kevin Feige, he had to have known that there's a sex scene in this movie, and he's just like, okay, you know, we're gonna do this. I think they thought, I think they thought the sex scene and all that was gonna make them the darlings of the film festivals. That this was gonna be the art house film that everyone loves and thinks is high cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think the sex scene was wildly out of place. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think that I, that? I, I, yeah. Do you think that that framed this, right? Like, because they were trying to present it as this mature art house potential Oscar darling and that the critics kind of were looking at it in that way. It was presented at a film festival, right? Like, do you think that impacted the viewing and that they were more harsh on like, oh, you're trying to make uh, Chloe Zhao Marvel movie? Okay. You know, I think I I think the purpose of that sex scene was to make critics think this is not a kid's movie. I think you're exactly right. And everything you've said about this being like sort of a critical darling. Here's what's frustrating about that. I agree with you a thousand percent. Black Panther got nominated for fucking best picture. Isn't that good enough? Like you, yeah. if you do right. what you do well, right. you get critical accolades. You don't have to try to be something that you're not. This is. Yes. When you, when, well, when you go into the filming of a movie, if you go into that with like we're just making this so we can get the accolades. Bad you, idea. You're doing it the wrong way. Yeah. You're already. You're already. There's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> you're already expecting something as opposed to just making something great and letting the world. I was shocked. I was shocked when the movie was sitting at a sixty-three percent, and now we're at forty-eight percent for the critics. Yeah. 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 I do agree that they're probably judging it. 
more harsh just based on what they were trying to do and who the director is and like it's getting looked at in a different light like it, it entered a whole different kind of atmosphere of how they're looking at these marvel movies and therefore it's getting judged harder i agree i, with, I agree with almost- i agree with the the 48 percent score because i can understand because you got to look at that half um, you know, half of the, it's basically almost 50%. Half the people liked it, half the people didn't. And that makes sense to me. It feels like it is a divisive movie. I agree with the score. I'm not saying that it should be rotten. I personally would not give it a rotten rating. Um, no. but, uh, yeah. I, I still think it's fresh. Uh, but I, I, I do agree with this score. I think that half, half the critics don't like it and half do like it. I think the, I think, like time will be this movie's friend. I don't think, I think it, I think the responses have been divisive for obvious reasons. I think as time moves on and we're farther along in this phase and the, you know, future phases of Marvel movies, this may be looked at more as like, I think somebody mentioned it earlier, like a movie that was used for parts. Like we'll be able to, this movie set the scene for a lot of things. Maybe in the future, we won't be looking at it, whether or not it was a bad movie. It'll just be a movie that we reference for future things. And I think that may serve, that may work in its favor. I don't know, but I'm hoping. Well, we're seeing, we're seeing that Stephanie with like, you know, even though Age of Ultron got a, like a fresh score and it did great in the box office, we're seeing like, you know, them taking parts of, of that and using it in WandaVision. Uh, we're seeing, you know what I mean? Some of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they, so yeah, I'm sure a lot of this stuff is going to be used in other forms. It's just. I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't, it didn't feel like, I just didn't leave the theater feeling like I had watched like, um, like a, like an, an amazingly fun and fully entertaining Marvel movie. That's just how I feel. Did you feel like this was a DC movie like some people are saying? Hmm. Uh, no, I wouldn't say like a, like a Zack Snyder DC movie or maybe what did you guys think of the two DC references? I liked it. I thought it was fun. Just establishing that that's fiction within this world. They kind of established star Wars was also fiction in this world. I think that's a fun touch. Yeah. I felt like some of the fight scenes were more justice leaguey than some of the justice league stuff and those stuff, like especially uh, the speedster stuff was just so cool. I love Macari and, stuff, yeah. And I also felt like some of Thena's, um stuff was a little bit like, oh man, I wish I could see Wonder Woman doing this, especially after Wonder Woman 84. And so I definitely saw them, like it, it felt a little bit like Disney uh, showing up uh, on Warner DC, Brothers. right? And, yeah. and and the best part is they, they had to pay them, right? Disney paid wb to use that stuff and uh that is just fascinating to me and 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 also interesting right because it's like you're in the marvel universe so you're in the in the universe with real heroes and when you're referencing a batman you're referencing the comics versus like probably batman existing in that universe right so it feels a little bit mm. of a big too of like ours are more real and you're just comics i don't know maybe i read into that too much i but. could see the movies existing in the marvel universe like i could see like keaton batman being a thing that the, the people in that universe saw you know in 1990 yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it, but it's like a made up thing versus like the real life people of Iron Man and Captain America, you know, like, correct, I, correct. I, yeah, I just thought that that was kind of funny and kind of a, a thing. Yeah, I like it too. I like the way it was used for Icarus. I mean, the Superman comparisons were, were pretty, pretty glaring. So I thought that was a proper usage of that, of that reference. So yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I wonder I never, if in the universe they think that Darkseid is a ripoff of Thanos as opposed to the other way around. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I never thought about the financial aspect of it. So does Disney really have to pay Warner Brothers to drop those references? Well, I would think so, right? I mean, if you if you're using if you're using that, I mean, oh. they're not using it as promotional material, really, though. I, I don't know. You could be right. I have no idea. I love imagining a Warner Brothers lawyer at that movie premiere hearing them name drop Superman. He's like, what the fuck? And he just runs. Right. No, exactly. No, right? Like, like you, you have. I, I don't know. I just, the, those conversations. Give me that. Give me that poll. I got some problems here. He's like, <laughs> they name drop Superman and Batman. I said Batman. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm very curious. I, I'd be very curious to find out the financial aspect of that and, and if they have to pay for those references. That's wild. Or at the very end, if they give a credit, you know, where they say special thanks to DC or something like that at the very end. Yeah, I didn't notice that. And I was looking at the credits pretty closely. Oh, they went by so quick. Yeah, they were hard to see. Yeah. I was, I was looking for Kay. I was, I was for Kay as well, and I, I did not see it. I didn't see her there either. But she's there. That's what I've heard. I've heard she's there. I've heard the same as well. And they look like they were in alphabetical order. So I, but it was just so fast. Yeah. I don't know. That's all I got for Eternals, guys. Unless you had anything else that you wanted to add before we. Ra- oh, I got to go over the contest winners. But did you guys have any final thoughts on on Eternals? No, I just, you know, this was a really fun movie to review and, and talk about with you guys. I, I, I think um, I was a little bit more wide-eyed and had a lot more, like, fun than a lot of you guys did. But just hearing your complaints and the, and the stuff that you didn't like has kind of, in a way, opened my eyes. I'm kind of curious to see it a third time and see if I'm I'm a bit more annoyed at, at some of the stuff that you guys pointed out. You'll, you'll love it. Overall, you'll love it even more. I know you. You like the rage against the machine. You'll love it even more. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 I'm. I He's gonna more sit side. there and then walk out for the sex scene. Jake is gonna come back and be like, "I loved. I absolutely love the sex scene so much more." Dude, I feel like anything that makes Greg's kids uncomfortable, I, I fucking really love. <laughs> it's, it's funny too. The irony of me feeling uncomfortable with my kids watching a sex scene, despite the many things I've had them say for this podcast, for example. <laughs> Um, I will say that, you know, there's a difference to me, but like me personally enjoying the film, which I did, and also analyzing why it's not going to be as successful as other films. I think those are two different things. You know, I, I personally enjoyed yeah, this movie. Agreed. There was a guy next to me wearing a Venom shirt. So clearly at least a casual fan fucking hated the movie. It was obvious, like he looked at his phone about a half hour in. At one point, I heard his buddy talking to him. He's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on with this. And he just starts looking at his phone. He hated it. Wow. Yeah. 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 Me personally, I, as I mentioned, I, I really enjoyed the movie and I liked it more and more on subsequent viewings. But at the same time, I understand why people are frustrated with it and, and it's divisive. Like I can, I can clearly understand why not everyone is so enamored by it. 
So, yeah, let me ask this question. And then, uh, yeah, let me ask this question. Eternals 2, do you want them to continue with this direction of what they've done here? Or do you want this to kind of, or do you want them to, or do you want them to course correct and just make this more of like your standard Marvel movie? All I got to say about that is uh, the Captain Marvel sequel. So, like, it's like she's, you know, successful. And but there was a lot of criticism as far as that movie is concerned. Um, but here they are combining the Marvels in the sequel. I can see them taking the Eternals and somehow combining them with another cosmic element. Yeah, I'd be fine either way. I I, I think it would be once you do once you've done the first movie and you've done it in this tone. I think it makes it all the more fun to kind of do it in more of the Marvel style. And see these characters act and interact with with other Marvel properties in more of that Marvel manner. Um, I could I could go either way. I could do another this tone movie, or I would really enjoy the fun of just kind of opening it up and doing all that you know, just that Marvel formula with it. I I could swing either way. I wouldn't be upset either way. I if I get another one, if I get another one like this, I will not be happy. <laughs> Taika Taika directs Eternals too. I'm I'm just I'm I'm just being movie. honest. Like I, this is yeah. just not. I didn't walk out. I, I don't want to walk into another Eternals movie and then and then just leave the exact same way that I did this time, saying, "Wow, that was interesting. Yeah. Wow, what a what an ambitious movie." Um, but then just you know, I mean, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. I just was not. I mean, it's yeah, it's good, but it's not great in my opinion. So me, yeah, I would. I, I'm all for a completely different Eternals movie and going more with the Marvel formula that's worked for them in the past and, and bring back the fun factor. Cause this was kind of a slog. Yeah. I don't yeah, blame you for that yeah. attitude. Exactly. Like, and I, I, I can see that as well. And for me, I think part of the reason it was a slog is they almost, they had to get through all of this stuff. It's almost like I love Captain Marvel. Obviously y'all know this, right? But but it also had to do so much work and have the thing of it had to connect it. It had to be the beginning of Avengers. It had to introduce the scrolls. It had to talk about the Kree. It had to connect it. And it had to connect all of these things that I felt like this movie also had that that issue of it had to do a lot of heavy lifting and explaining all of this backstory, the Celestials, the creation of the universe. So I feel like I wouldn't mind if they went with another kind of, you know, unique director or whatever, as long as they just have a tighter story and they don't have to get lost in all these pieces. Maybe they do have less characters or are able to focus on it. And they have this like one mission, right. Of like, you know, them working together, maybe with the, with, with Black Knight and Blade to go and like, you know, figure out where, where Cersei is tribunal. Like, I think I wouldn't mind it. I just, yeah, it, it just needs to evolve in some other, it can't keep doing this way, but all going all the way to a Marvel method, I could, is also maybe too aggressive because I think these characters are a little bit different and they are kind of these pseudo gods, um, in a way that the, the Avengers and stuff feel a little more, um, grounded and human. I think that the Marvel so, method, if you introduce the Marvel, like what we've known from like the Marvel formula with these characters, mm-hmm. it'll be the perfect palate cleanser in my opinion. I'll, because I mean, once we got that Thor movie, yeah, with yeah. once we got Ragnarok, yeah. it was just like, oh my god, audiences it were just it back up. Yeah. It did. Audiences were just were, were foaming at the mouth for fucking more Thor. 
And, yeah. you know, we could see sides of these characters that we haven't seen. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's so many, like, I don't know, slogs. Uh, it was a slog at some pr- certain t- times of this movie, and it was like, yeah. I don't I don't know. Well, I just I think it's very clear that this is going to be very cosmic after this, right? It's not going to be probably Earth-based. And yeah. So it's it's going to be more James Gunn or Taika Waititi moving forward, I think. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like we're like seeking out other Eternals, and that's not going to be on Earth. So I agree with that. Yeah. Even All right. the casting, even Arrow's being in there, like I, I feel that that's that's more leaning towards a Guardians direction um, than anything. Like I just, it just seems like they're going that that route. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be more fun moving forward. Yeah, but it's, it's like that, that's a problem. If, if we're even, if we're even saying that, like, oh, don't worry. The next movie is going to be, don't, don't worry. The next movie, guys, don't worry. We took a lot of polls. It's uh, We tabulated a lot of results and we know, we know what characters you guys Well, ne- don't worry, guys. Next movie is going to be fun. We're going to give you Don't a- worry, guys. There's going to be no fucking in the next <laughs> oh, I want to see two celestials banging each other out in space. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, what would Arishim sound like during this? Feels good. I'm enjoying this. I'm about to come. <laughs> Smack my ass. <laughs> Who's is it? Who's is it? Oh my god! Yeah, they're, fucking, they're gonna they're gonna use Earth for a butt plug. <laughs> All of a sudden, the Earth goes dark. It's like, oh, is that a solar eclipse? No, we are inside Arisham's asshole right no. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the smell of inside of a celestial guy? Only, only, Jake, when he climaxes, he says, here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, only, only our listeners that are over 50. Get that joke, Jake. <laughs> unless, we have plenty of those, so I think we're good. <laughs> unless you, unless you watched uh, Laugh In on syndication, but <laughs> oh my god, um, yeah. So that is our Eternals review. I gotta, gotta get these winners for the uh, yeah. So that's if you if you entered the contest uh, for what what is this first one? This is for Snake Eyes. No, the first one's going to be Digital Coast for Stillwater. So let's go over Stillwater. Yeah. Yeah, our five uh five winners for Stillwater. First winner is gonna be Monica Garola. Second winner is Alfredo Tosado. <laughs> our most prolific winner of all time, I think. Third winner is Stephanie Haynes. Fourth winner is Steven Chavez. And last winner is going to be, hold on, come on, Tammy Hatfield. There you go. All right, go Tammy. Keep it away from the McCoys. That joke's been used before, Jake. You need to <laughs> need to find. I mean, what is this podcast if not? I know more jokes. It's like you know, we need to find some new Hatfield jokes. Maybe a James Hetfield joke from Metallica <laughs> or something. You know, 
Let's see here. And now I'll I'll go over our uh Snake Eyes winners. Sorry, this is taking so long, guys. Ironically, it's the same five people. It probably will be a lot. Most of them <laughs> did. Most of them are the same people that entered this one as well. Uh, let's see. Yeah, who did I get? All of our Snake Eyes people here. Jesus Christ! All right. Yeah, it's going to be the same people. <laughs> Might as well just give it to the same people. Um, let's see here. Oh God. Let me pause. Alright, Snake Eyes physical copy winners. Tammy Hatfield wins again. Number two, Brandon Olson. Number three, Monica Garola. Number four is gonna be, come on, give me a different name. Steven Chavez. Did he already win? Yes. One of these? Not he not one still water. Okay, thank God. And then the last winner is I think this is the last winner, Mark Busking. All right, Mark. There you go, Mark. Did I go over five for, for snake eyes? <laughs> yeah, that was five. Okay. All right, there we go. So there's the big winners. I had to get it out this week because I couldn't wait I couldn't prolong this another week. So all right, that was our Eternals review. God, I feel like I shit on this movie so much. No, I, I don't think you were over overly shitty on this movie. I don't think so either. Yeah, I think with a, I think it's pretty fair. I think if it's a tasted or something like that, I've got to focus a little bit on like what I didn't like. It, it wasn't an absolute Tupperware, so I had to focus on some of the things that I didn't like. There was a lot that I did like, though. Yeah, I agree. I'm shocked that no one else noticed the aspect ratio flip-flopping all over the fucking place. No, it didn't bother me. I saw saw it in IMAX as well. I mean, think of it this way, though. The Marvel brand, it's kind of like when a Pixar movie isn't great, everyone shits on it. It's kind of the same thing. That's kind of the price of excellence. You know, if the movie isn't great, it it stands out. Yeah, we're just so used to... We're so used to these movies being amazing you know especially like you know shang chi this year and but yeah you know, this is I, I mean i liked black widow more than this so yeah, black widow was a shit ton of fun but uh, I, I can't wait to see uh yelena again yeah Same. yeah all right i want to thank our guests thank you tristan hey thanks for having me great recording with you guys I want to thank uh, Ashley. Yeah, this was really fun as always. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. This was a fun group. This was a good time. And Handy Greg, where can people find you? I have a YouTube channel called Amazing Home Projects, and it's been a blast. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. All right, guys. Just like all good leftovers say on the doggy bags, thank you for your patronage. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with episode. We're on episode. We're in the four hundreds now, Jake. I know, the fucking 400s. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I know. Jake's going to get super high for 420. He can't wait. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. It's going to be our Cheech and Chong episode. <laughs> Break out the bong for 420. Yeah. 420, dude. Okay. All right, guys. It'll just be the whole episode. will be me bubbling and you vaping. Episode, episode 409 is going to be me cleaning. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> 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 oh, man. 
Yeah. People are going to get that one later. Some people are going to be like, oh, that 409, that, that bottle. Yeah, I get it. All right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our basement listeners have never cleaned in their life, so That's they won't true. know what the fuck you're talking they're about. Still, they're, still, they're still reeling over the 420 episode. <laughs> <laughs> they just spilled bong water all over their shirt. They're like, <laughs> all right, all right, we're done. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before We don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap! Toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, hey, erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said, leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing, that is pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good. I've already been done before, so we should Separate the wheat from the shaft And give a shout of crap, even though we're the shit We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good and toss it, good and Do we love it? Hey, let's make it clean, erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carry over, counterculture, pushover Pop culture, leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushover, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said, leftovers. Only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture, leftovers.